Death is an inevitability, and there are many ways to die. There's the physical death, the permanent end of life, the eventuality of all living things, whether it's through violence, starvation, illness, or decay. There's also the spiritual death, the exact definition of which widely varies depending on your philosophical and theological beliefs, but can broadly, secularly, be defined as a loss of a purpose. It's the death of the soul, separate from the death of the body. Then there's the cultural death, which goes beyond the loss of life or purpose. It's the eradication of customs, institutions, and art, whether through negligence or by design. Art can be lost, and it can be destroyed. In each episode of my show, I make time to talk about video game preservation. As time goes on, video games that were at one point available become more and more difficult to access. This can happen for a myriad of reasons. It's a medium where hardware becomes obsolete very quickly. Publishers tend to neglect properties that don't generate revenue as quickly as they'd like. Some businesses close up entirely, and licensing agreements can expire, making it difficult to determine who owns the rights to distribute a game. And this is a subject that means a great deal to me, both as a consumer and as someone concerned with the preservation of art in general. As technology has improved, interconnectedness and access should be easier than ever. But there are entities far more powerful than me that feel differently. And systemic issues in the media landscape have created artificial barriers that exist for irresponsible or malicious reasons. What are the consequences of these actions? How has it affected the video games industry and the availability of games in general? The Video Games History Foundation, or VGHF, partnered with the Software Preservation Network and conducted the first ever study on the commercial availability of classic video games, which I've linked in the description of this episode. In that study, compiled in a 43-page report by VGHF's library director, Phil Salvador, examined four sample groups with a data set of over 4,000 video games and arrived at a bleak conclusion. 87% of classic video games released in the United States are critically endangered. Nearly 9 out of 10 video games released before 2010 are not accessible to the American consumer. I will not read the entire report on this show, though I encourage everyone to read through it. I do want to quote the beginning two paragraphs of the summary of findings found on page 32 of this report, because it gives a succinct and harrowing look at the state of preservation in the medium of video games. Begin quote. Our study shows that most historical video games are no longer in release. Compared to studies of other creative mediums, the availability rate of pre-2010 video games, 13%, is similar to the commercial availability of pre-World War II audio recordings, 10% or less, or the survival rate of American silent era films, 14%. Those studies, which describe the state of their mediums as urgent and alarming, deal with creative works that are over a century old. While video games are a younger medium, 99.5% of the games in our sample were released in the last 50 years, they are already facing a similar availability crisis to media from the turn of the 20th century. The dire state of availability is consistent across platform ecosystems and time periods. All three platform libraries examined for the study, the Commodore 64, the Game Boy Family, and the PlayStation 2, representing a range from 1983 to 2013, have poor reissue rates, regardless of the level of commercial interest in the platform. Despite Nintendo's active efforts to re-commercialize the Game Boy Family, the reissue rate for Game Boy games, 5.9%, is similar to the reissue rate for Commodore 64 titles, 4.5%, meaning both platforms are effectively abandoned. Of the three platforms we studied, the PlayStation 2 library has the highest reissue rate, though it only reaches 12%, which is slightly below, and roughly statistically even, with the results for all pre-2010 video games. 
availability rates never rise above 20% for any five-year period examined in this study. End of quotation. The study's conclusion arrives at a point I find irrefutable. This is a systemic issue and a crisis. This isn't the fault of any single individual or company. This crisis is because of how the industry operates and how it prioritizes its commercial endeavors. And it is easy to understand that video game companies would prioritize actions that immediately improve their revenue, but it is even more difficult to ignore the role they play in the destruction of the medium from which they profit. And the issue of commercial availability of art isn't restricted to the medium of video games. It's a systemic issue across all forms of media. Over the past year, multiple outlets have been reporting on the ways Warner Brothers Discovery, currently under the leadership of CEO David Zaslav, has been removing original and acquired content from their streaming service Max and canceling unreleased, nearly completed works in order to receive tax write-offs. Furthermore, in May of this year, the Walt Disney Company also announced it would permanently remove dozens of TV shows and films that they thought underperformed on their streaming service Disney+. Plus. In order to receive a $1.5 billion tax write-off, making them impossible to access through legal means, especially as many of them never received physical media releases. Preservation remains an issue in every medium. Corporations discard their own properties with little to no regard for their consumers or even their creators. The issue isn't limited to video games, but they may be the medium handling it the worst. The Entertainment Software Association, a lobby group that has represented the video game industry for nearly 30 years, is actively fighting against expanding video game preservation in libraries and archives. These libraries and archives are allowed to digitally preserve and share film, audio, and books outside of their on-site premises. Video games, however, are strictly prohibited from digital sharing methods and can only be used on-site for research purposes. The ESA is using their lobbying power to make older titles less accessible than any other medium. It isn't simply a negligence issue. It also isn't a money issue because these major companies have seemingly unlimited funds to acquire as many studios and publishers in an attempt to consolidate and monopolize the industry. For example, as of the time of this recording, Microsoft is actively pursuing the purchase of Activision Blizzard, currently the fifth largest video game company in the world, for $69 billion. If the deal goes through, it will be the largest acquisition in tech history. It's hard not to be cynical about the future of the industry when the people who have the most power over it use that power to buy a company with countless misconduct allegations against it and their CEO, Bobby Kotick. They're content to leave the past behind. It's more profitable to them. It's hard not to be cynical about the industry, about the lobbying, about the unchecked power, about the erasure of the past. But I don't want to give in to despair. I will not succumb to a spiritual death. And I want to do what I can to prevent a cultural one. I want to stop the homogenization and monopolization of the media. And I'm not alone in this sentiment. The fact that the Video Games History Foundation exists is proof of that. The fact that they conducted the study that inspired this intro is proof of that. We're not alone. It's true that death is an inevitability, but it can also be delayed. No matter what forces that seem more powerful than us say, we have a responsibility to protect the vulnerable, to care. Everything and everyone will at one point become helpless. We have to help each other to survive to thrive. The body, the soul, the art. It's worth protecting as long as possible. Do what you can while you can. And when you can't anymore, someone will be there for you. We're not alone. I'm Kiefer, and this is Select and Start. 
Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts. So let's select a game and press start. Hello and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and every episode I bring on a guest to talk about a video game that made an impact on their life. Today's guest is actually a previous guest. In fact, he is our first returning guest. He is the host of Soundtracker, a terrific podcast series about original motion picture soundtracks. It's my buddy, Eric. Eric, how are you today? I'm great. And uh, glad to, I, I'm glad we did this so quick because I just I was just I threw this at you. God, it wasn't it was a few weeks ago. You know what I mean? I was like, have you played Spirit Fair? I want to talk about Spirit Fair, which I hope I'm not giving away your your introduction to <laughs> the game here. And I really just step on your toes. But the fact that like, you know, here we are talking about it. I was, I'm glad, I'm glad to be here doing it. Cause I was like, I figured I'd mention it and be like, yeah, we'll do this down the road sometime. Cause I, I know how I am with my show where I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And then it's like six months later that I'm like, oh yeah, Hey, we should probably record this now. You know what I mean? So I was like, glad to like get to this, that you, that you got me in. Yeah. The, the timing was great because, uh, I had the game already downloaded on my PlayStation because, uh, I needed a breather from, uh, tears of the kingdom. Cause that's what I've been playing for an entire month. Yeah. By the time we like had the conversation, it was just kind of like, no, actually, that sounds perfect. And I had a great time with it. We'll get more into it shortly, but I got a few things I want to cover here first. Not as much as usual, though, because this is the first time I've ever had a returning guest on the show. We're going to do things a little bit differently because of that. Ordinarily, it's been the first part of this show talking about what you do, what you like. Mm. But you already answered those questions for us because you were on an episode talking about uh, your favorite game, Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. And so we don't need to check your gaming credentials. Uh, <laughs> you, a gamer you are and a gamer you will remain, sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> I had you want to talk about Resident Evil 4 in October of 2022. At that point, the remake wasn't out yet. In fact, when we recorded the episode, we hadn't even seen much gameplay for the game. So we were just sort of like, we don't know what this game is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Now the game's been out for a few months. You and I have both played it. Uh, our first order of business. What are your thoughts on Resident Evil 4 Remake? I love it. Um, I uh, <laughs> look. I mean, it's it's uh, just. I will never. It will never replace the original for me. Like I still, sure. the original will, will always be my favorite game of all time. And I I was being kind of a shithead the first time I played it. Like I loved it. I loved it the first time. But there is always that. There was that small part of me. It was like, well, why'd they get rid of that? And why'd they get rid of that? I think I had had a build up too much in my head because there were things beforehand, you know, leaks and things where people were like conjecture where they were saying that. It was going to be like the exact you know, play for play of the same game, which I would have been fucking great with. You know what I mean? If it had just been like a high def, uh, but with like some of the stuff that was supposed to go in that Resident Evil 3.5. And I was like, wow, it's going to be. And it most definitely was not that like there were things missing. It was pretty faithful for the most part or like they reconfigured things. And like I would be like, well, where's the, the room with the, the, the big fire breathing dragons and, and the flames and and or the big fire breathing dragon boats? And like and, and, and I've come to realize that like. That's fine that those aren't in there because what I have essentially, plus they're saying a lot of that stuff is going to show up in separate ways when that comes out, which I think is really cool. Mm. Um, but what, what I essentially have here is two different enough versions of the same game that it's not like playing the same thing through. So like, whereas Resident Evil 4 has always, the original has always been like a, an October, I play it every October, like I can mix it up or play both or something. And it's like playing two different, very different games. Yeah, I love it. I just, like I said, the first time I kept finding myself being like looking for things, nitpicking a little bit, you know what I mean? And then I was like, why are you doing this? Like, this is so great. Like, just enjoy it. And uh, no, I love it. It's a it's a 
fantastic remake. <clears throat> you know, I played it like three times in a row when, <laughs> when I got through it. I was like, well, I'm going to go through another run and then and then one more. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's the sign of a game that I really like. No, yeah, I'm right there with you. I love the game. I'm glad you really enjoyed it because, again, we were both super worried about how it would turn out. But we mm-hmm. both enjoyed Resident Evil 2 remake and it was the same team that worked on that. So in hindsight, it almost feels like, why were we so worried? But like, it's obviously like we talked about it in a previous episode, the original game still holds up so well. And it was so foundational to our understanding of third person shooters that it's kind of like, what new thing can you really bring to the table here? The way that it changes stuff up is really interesting because it doesn't really try to reinvent the wheel so much as sort of like interact with like the refinements and like work around the fact like, oh, this isn't as tanky as the original game was. How do we balance that? Oh, well, the, the, the knife is breakable. And initially when you're like that, it's like, oh, that's really upsetting. And then like suddenly you're just like really it it gets sweaty. Like the way that the horror works in this game is much different from how the horror works in Resident Evil 4, where it's like, you know, what the fuck is that? I've never seen that kind of thing before goes to like, fuck, I don't know how to handle this situation in this space now. Yeah. Well, and like the way they gave like Dr. Salazar, like those really horrifying eyes, like they did some really nice touches with the the, like character designs. It's faithful, but also very I, I've been using this word a lot on the podcast transformational because like you said, it is different enough, but in ways that it's like, huh, like the gunplay is obviously really good, really responsive, like firing a sniper rifle feels really fucking good with the PlayStation five controller. Uh, the shooting gallery is really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time just doing that and trying to perfect the challenges. Whereas like the side stuff in resident evil four, I could really take or leave. And uh, going back to the knife thing, uh, the way that you parry things that are thrown at you with a knife or uh, block attacks or how, powerful the roundhouse kick feels and how essential it feels and fights in this game really just changed my relationship with resident evil 4 and like i will absolutely play this one at least as much as i play resident evil 4 original obviously depending on like time that i have in october's but like i could absolutely see this becoming like a regular along with the original playing like one and then the other but again that all depends on how much time i have every October because yeah. last year I didn't even get to finish it. You know what I mean? I didn't even get to play the original last w- October because I was so busy. Uh, I'm hoping that's not the case this year. That's the plan. I'm working hard to make sure that my October is a lot less busy. So exactly. Yeah. A couple of things in the original episode, we addressed the complaints of the original game and the things that you didn't like were um, the depiction of Ashley. You didn't like that. You didn't care for the depiction of Ashley. Uh, and also the Krauser fight you didn't care for because it really tied into like the QTE stuff that mm-hmm. was kind of uh, this game popularized in like mainstream video games, but is very absent in this uh, iteration of Resident Evil 4. How do you feel about the Krauser fight and Ashley and the, the remake? Incredible improvements, both. I, the Krauser fight is super fun. That knife fight is really cool. I, lo- I mean, There's still like a little bit of the QTE stuff where you've got to like, you know, you got to hit circle to kick him back or or duck or, you know what I mean? Like there's like, but it's like two things you have to push and like, you're not, it's not insta death if you miss it. You know what I mean? Like it is yeah. in the original where you've gone through this whole, you know, two minutes of dialogue and fight. And then he gets you with one errant knife swing and it's all over and you got to do it again. Like none of that in this one. So, um, yeah. And I like how they fleshed out Louise more. Um, yeah, I really, I mean, all of that stuff is phenomenal. All of that stuff is phenomenal. Like I said, for me, the only thing is I think really if I had never played the original and played this one, it probably would be like one of those games that I'd be like, this might be my favorite game I've ever played in my life. You know what I mean? (laughs) I just have two decades of loving the original under my belt that like that's the only reason really that it would not overtake it, I think. But uh, but it was great. It was great. I loved it. Yeah, no, the same here. A game that we could 
honestly talk about for two hours if we didn't have another game that uh, yeah. was also very worthy of our time and was also one of the best things I played recently. Uh, but while we're on the subject of remakes, uh, are there any other notable video game remakes that you've enjoyed? I mean, I've loved all of the um, Resident Evil remakes that they've done so far. I, I'll tell you what, I know a lot of people complain about the three remake mm-hmm. and I absolutely get it. And I do not understand why they cut some of this. St- I can understand why they made the decisions to cut things. I will say this, though. The three remake is really good. It's OK. So five. <laughs> I don't remember if we talked about this in the last episode or not. Of, of, of the mainline entries, five is my least favorite. I actually. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm a six defender. Um, mm. I, I mean, it's got its flaws. It doesn't get as absolutely a big goofy mess, but it's it's at least interesting. Whereas five is literally just like you go from one place to another and it's 300 people screaming and running at you. You know what I mean? Like that's all well and good, but it becomes it great. It winds you down by the end. Mm-hmm. Resident Evil three remake is just as action heavy, but like the action flows better. It plays better. It's a really short, sweet, fun like, I love it. I every once in a while I could play it because I could beat it in like two sit downs. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. can get through it pretty quick <laughs> once you've played it, you know, and you know it. And it's 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 like quality over quantity with that game. Like the bits that there are there that they didn't cut are are, are phenomenal. Um, God, as far as remakes go. Well, I mean, OK, we got to go back to Super Mario All-Stars. I actually just started playing that again recently where it was like oh, yeah. <laughs> remade the original games kind of from the ground up. Those are all very fun. Those are ones that I would consider remakes that I love. That Zelda, uh, the one that they did for Switch. I'm now I'm blanking on Link. Link. Uh, Link's Awakening. Yes, yes, that was yeah. a really solid remake. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. There, there are. I, I now I'm th- I'm blanking on other ones that I'm thinking of that I. But those are yeah. Those are all solid remakes. So did you ever play the uh, Tony Hawk remake? Oh yeah, duh. Shit. Yes, yes. I love that. I love that um, one. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing was I loved it. I. It did not have the same lifespan for me that the originals did, but I also wasn't like getting high in my college dorm <laughs> with friends at this age. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I wasn't playing it for I just, you know, like the original ones I would play for goddamn months, just months. Uh, and and like I played it through and I was like, this is so fun. It's so great. And like as soon as Superman kicked in, I was like, it felt like I was 19 years old again. And uh but like, the, you know, after about a month, I, I really barely picked it up again. But it was great for that month. You know, we talk about remakes and, you, you know, the four remake isn't a straight one for one remake of Resident Evil 4. The three remake takes a lot of weird departures from the original Resident Evil 3. Uh, and that's just because different dev teams are working on these things or like sort of seeing like, what can we do to justify the differences? You know, you host a podcast about music mm. and it's just sort of like that's the sort of video game equivalent of doing a cover, just a completely different artistic group engaging something in their own way and reinterpreting it so like it can be in the you know in the best of circumstances a good cover is a a, a reimagining in a way that like you would have never otherwise heard it before do you have any particular covers that you love of songs well okay i'm gonna do a bit of a catch-all first before i name two specific ones off the top of my head any soul music cover of a rock and roll song is going to be extremely my shit however on the other end of this on the other side of the coin rock and roll covers of soul songs that do nothing for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, that, <laughs> I, I, but I can't say do nothing. Uh, I, the what I can't remember what soundtrack it was that I did. There was a cover of the temptations get ready, which is my favorite temptation song of all time. And it was by the proclaimers that sing 500 miles, which is one of my least favorite songs of all time. And it was actually a really good cover. Uh, so they can happen sometimes, but any Motown cover of an old rock song is, is like something that I'm pretty much every time going to like, just as much, if not more than the original. And to name two 
specific ones off the top of my head. Big Star has a cover of Velvet Underground's Femme Fatale that is unbelievably good. And uh, it's funny, after you mentioned, after you asked me about this, I just so happened to be scrolling through on Spotify and the cover of uh, Against All Odds by the Postal Service came on. And I'm a huge fan of Postal Service's cover of mm. Against All Odds is another one of my all-time favorite cover songs. No, those are, those are definitely good covers. You know, great, excellent answers. Uh, the cover that I always go to when somebody's like, what's a good cover of a song that you like? Uh, David Byrne did a cover of Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody on a live album that he did. Oh, I've never heard that. It's incredible. It's great. Um, because like, I don't really have the musical vocabulary to sort of explain this. I took music in middle school, high school, but mm. that's just, it's reading. It's not analysis. But the way that like Whitney Houston sings that song, like she's basically filling every single possible space with her voice. Like she is consuming the space that she's in. And the way that David Byrne talks, he doesn't have that commanding presence that Whitney has, mm. you know, he has a range, but the way that he is able to evoke emotion and that same sense of joy that comes out of that song, that sense of uh, yearning, but also just loud, bombastic sense, he's able to do that. And he's singing it without like, He's singing as David Byrne. It's not like he's trying to do an impression of Whitney Houston. He's like, I want to dance with somebody. And it's, it's great. And I love that song. I love the uh, orchestral production that's behind him when he's doing it. That's a song that I would want played at my wedding. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see him doing a very fun cover of that. Yeah. Speaking of, because I just remembered this and you talked about the soul covers. Uh, Talking Heads have a cover of uh, Take Me to the River by Al Green, which is a 1974 Memphis soul song. Is that an exception for you? Yes. It's not to say everyone. In no way, shape, or form am I saying that there are none that I enjoy. So yeah, that one I really like. They're also new wave. They're not traditional rock. So, And I mean, the Stones did some really good soul covers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I mean, there's, I can't say everyone, but like, there are definitely ones that I am not, a like plenty that I'm not a fan of. Whereas like pretty much any soul song that's a cover of like a rock song, I'm going to be like, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, no, love this conversation. I could talk about this all day, too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, a few other covers that I love that I wrote down in anticipation of this episode. Uh, Kurt Cobain and Midyear's covers of The Man Who Sold the World. Mm-hmm. Stand out to me. That's my very, very basic answer. I-, I thought about saying that one even, and I felt like it was too... I- actually, that is one that I thought about, and I was like, ah, I feel like that's too obvious. I'm going to go for... I'll, I'll go for obvious every single time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but like specifically Midyear's cover in the Metal Gear Solid Five. I also love a lot, and I really love the way that it's used in that game thematically without spoiling it inversely uh there aren't a lot of good covers of nirvana songs no and they're they're one of it's like that pixies just like people that are like basically unimitatable either because they were so original or just because their their style and voice were so distinct if you try and cover a pixie song you feel ridiculous because frank black was like very specific in like how he sang things and if you try and like evoke that you just sound silly the only like really good pixies cover i can think of off the top of my head is um tv on the radio's mr greaves yeah yeah prove me wrong audience if you have a take on this but um the really good uh, nirvana cover that i come back to a lot because i'm a fan of this artist uh sturgill simpson's cover of in bloom yes yes yeah. that is a, that's a great one sturgill's so good yeah i love sturgill uh not a not a, don't listen to a lot of modern country music i do like country music i love like a lot of historical classic country music, mm-hmm. but a lot of the modern stuff just doesn't do it for me. But no. Sturgill is like one of the greats and he, his cover of in bloom 
almost recontextualizes the song because like obviously in bloom is the grungiest grunge song ever and for him it's almost like a love loving ode to his child and then just one last cover i want to shout out uh, lou reed's cover of this magic moment uh that he did for lost highway yep yep that's a great one i don't know why you know that's a funny thing too i've done so many because a lot of times with soundtracks it's cheaper for them to have someone do a cover than it is to pay royalties for whatever the original song they want to use it. So, oh, you know what? I will I will pull out a I just thought of one. Shit. Um, and the thing about this one is you can't find a full version of this song. But uh, there was a movie that came out on Netflix a couple years ago called The Perfection that was very divisive, but I loved it. At the very climax of the movie is done to the song it's a cover of the song Petals by Hole, which is one of my favorite Hole songs anyways, but it's covered by the Chromatics and it's only like 90 seconds of the song in the movie or two minutes. And that's the, oh, they have not put out a full length version of it. So like all you can find if you look on the internet is that like two minutes of audio as opposed to a whole song. And I had, I was holding out hopes Chromatics would release it, but uh, things ended very badly there. So I don't think that's ever going to happen. Oh man. That's upsetting because uh, I like chromatics and they have a lot of great covers of songs that I go yes. back to. And it's just frustrating that like one of those covers is just unreleased. Right. <laughs> no, great combo. Uh, going to video games. Like I said, I don't have to check your credentials, but uh, besides the game that we've been talking about, besides Resident Evil 4 remake, uh, what have you been playing since you were last on the show? Uh, okay, so I, I started Stray and then stopped playing Stray. I liked Stray. Something to come out that stopped me playing Stray. And then I saw that it was leaving PlayStation. So I jumped back into it and I'm almost finished with that. I just started playing Alan Wake Remastered. I've actually done a really dumb thing where I've started like seven games at the same time. Um, I ended up, life. up I, I know. I don't know how you do it because I'm top bad about like put a game down and I come back and I basically got to start it over because I can't remember how to control things. I picked up Super Meat Boy Forever for two bucks after hearing it get really bad reviews, but I'm fine with it. I, I've really enjoyed it. It's a different than the first one in that you constantly move the whole game instead of like it being like a puzzle game where you jump around and control yourself. Like, I don't remember what they call them, like the running games like that are on mobile games. You know what I mean? Where like Super Mario runs or whatever. But it's fun. It's that with Super Meat Boy. I've enjoyed it. And then, of course, you know, what's funny. These are two games that I thought about that, like, I could, there's two more. I could absolutely come back on here. Resident <laughs> Evil 4 will always be my favorite game of all time, right? right? But like of this new generation, I have like two games that I could absolutely consider in my top 10 games, maybe 20 games, maybe. Shockingly, I've not come on here and talked about Hitman because I will say for sure, there has never been a game that I have gotten as many hours of playtime as I have out of Hitman. I play Hitman <laughs> constantly still. And that game is, I bought chapter one when it came out. You know what I mean? When they did right. And I wasn't even like a fan of the Hitman franchise. Like I'm not much of a stealth game person, but then I saw the clip where they like fire the first target out of the ejector seat of the airplane. And I was like, wait a minute. I kind of, I kind of, I think I need to check this out. <laughs> Hitman is the most I've ever played a game by like a mile. Like, I mean, PlayStation doesn't show how many hours you've logged into things, unfortunately, but it would be really funny if I could see how many hours I've logged into the Hitman games. You know, I don't, I thought that, but, I noticed like whenever I went to the home screen after playing Spirit Fairer, that in the bottom right corner would tell me exactly how many hours I played. Oh, maybe it does then. Are you you're playing on five though, right? Maybe I'm the five. five. Yeah. See, four might not have that. I only have hmm. four. Okay. And then and then Dead Cells is another one. I still play both of those fairly regularly, and they're you know Dead Cells keeps refreshing. They keep keeps putting up new content. They just did that Castlevania update that was unbelievably good. Um, yeah. I just love Dead Cells. So, oh. 
And uh, Trek to Yumi, I started playing that once it was available for free on PlayStation Plus because I really wanted to play that. Oh, nice. Yeah, Dead Cells is one of those games that a person could reasonably play for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that game. Uh, I've played a bit of Hitman and I like it. I've liked everything I play, but it's again, like one of those, like, since this isn't very narratively driven, it's just challenges. I just sort of like play it in like in between stuff and I never get like fully into it like I want to. Oh, see, but the thing is, it's actually very narratively driven. When oh, you, I didn't when notice that, but like the stuff I have played. When you play between the chat, like literally the whole movie is about, or the whole movie, the whole <laughs> game is about Agent 47 turning his back on this lifestyle and then he and his partner, Mr. Gray and Diane deciding to go rogue and kill the 1% essentially is like oh, what okay. <laughs> the game becomes about. It's incredible. You literally go after like rich perverts. It's it's unbelievable. I think if you just play the first one, you don't realize where the story's going. But like by the time I got to part two and the last stage is basically Epstein Island, I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Maybe that's why I was mostly playing like the the early like part one chapters and uh, those missions. So I didn't really like piece together like the overarching narrative of it. But like that really makes me want to go back and finish it for sure. It's great. In terms of games that I'm playing lately, um, I'm playing the Warriors game that Rockstar published back in 2005. So good. Um, yeah, I, I am having a really good time with it. I believe it's on PS4, but I am playing a redacted uh, version of the game because apparently an update came out uh, a few years ago uh, where... They removed songs from the soundtrack, which is sacrilegious. I wanted to have this conversation with you specifically. The songs removed from the soundtrack include Vivian Lee's Remember, Fears I Love Living in the City, and Joe Walsh's In the City, which Joe Walsh's In the City is the last song in the movie, like plays over the credits. That's like a very important song. And like all these songs are in the movie, but like to take all these songs out of the soundtrack because they lost the licensing to it is for Rockstar, who has like a global economy with their GTA 5 money, it just feels horrible to be i'm very annoyed by it so that's why i'm playing uh, a version of the game that fell off the back of a truck well wait because i okay i per i picked that up very recently well not recently i guess like a year or two ago two years ago maybe it was on sale on the playstation network on playstation 4 and it was like three bucks and i was like because i have it on my playstation 3 but i was like well shit because i eventually want to get a playstation 5 and all those games will carry over so i'll have them for at least another generation so like I'm trying to do that, pick up as many PS4 thing on things as PS4 as I can. So I have them on my PS5 as well. But I, you know, I didn't even notice that those songs were missing when I was playing because it had been so long since I played the original that I didn't remember them being in the original either. Hmm. But that's crazy. I, I'll have to go back because I like to play that game. I mean, you can get that. That's a fun game that you can kind of pick up and play and get through in a relatively. It's a pretty lengthy game for as old as it is. But like, yeah, there's a lot of meat to it, a lot to do in it. But like still, you can you can get through it fairly quickly. I have to go back through and see if the version that I have, I'm guessing it's missing those. It has to be one that's missing. Yeah, definitely. Let me know because I'm playing it for the show. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Rockstar does this all the time that their GTA San Andreas's versions. They like took out David Bowie songs from it or songs from Vice City and San Andreas, which were, again, around the same time as the Warriors came out. And it's just like mm -hmm. crazy to me. They'll do that, but they just won't pay a few bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like you said, they've made. I'd love to know how much money they made mm -hmm. off of GTA 5 Online, which was for me was fun for about a month. And then I stopped playing it forever. Same. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I beat the I beat the I got about that day one. That was a day one buy for me, as will six. I, mm -hmm. just, I just love the. I love. I mean, look, I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on Rockstar because I love everything they put out. Like Red Dead Redemption 2 is like one of the closest. If you want to make an argument yeah. for a video game as art. And I don't care about that argument one bit. Do not care. Mm -hmm. 
But like that would be a pretty strong argument if you were trying to make that argument would be, no, would yeah. be Red Dead 2. Yeah. So uh, in our Resident Evil 4 episode, we also talked about your favorite filmmaker, John Carpenter, at length. And uh, a few weeks ago at Summer Game Fest 2023, a trailer for a cooperative first person shooter titled John Carpenter's Toxic Commando was revealed for release sometime in 2024, being published by Focus Entertainment, developed by Saber Interactive, known for original titles like Time Shift, Snow Runner, and Gloomhaven, as well as their involvement in remasters for the Halo series. Uh, they're also attached to the upcoming Knights of the Old Republic remake. Eric, do you have any thoughts on that John Carpenter's Toxic Commando? I will buy it. I don't care what the reviews are. I will. I don't even like first-person shooters. I don't like co-op games all that much. <laughs> I will buy it because I want to see how it is. I mean, it's John Carpenter's a gamer, dude. He's a gamer. He's a yeah. true gamer. Here's what will happen with that game. It'll come mm -hmm. out to bad reviews and become a cult classic in 10 years, just like all of his movies do. Like that's, 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 what I have, that's what I see out of that game. But I think, it, no, I'll, I will. It's John Carpenter. I'm going to buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah. The other thing is like John Carpenter also sees the beauty and ugly thing. Like he's a huge Fallout uh, 76 fan. So, right. <laughs> you know, like maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll suck. But, but what I know is he will enjoy the game. But <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will listen to the guy talk about video games all day. and. I'll, I'll, we'll see when it comes out. Uh, I do not know the extent of his involvement uh, other than his name being on it. This was the only quote I could find directly from Carpenter on the game for a press release. Quote, it's exciting to be collaborating on a new video game with Focus and Saber. Look, I really like shooting zombies. They keep telling me that they're called the infected. Please, they're ghouls, dude. Uh, <laughs> they blow up real good and there are a ton of them. People are going to love this game. <laughs> that's that sounds like exactly everything he would that is like so i can hear it in his voice i hear it yeah. in his voice yeah like he really like see like he really falls into the carpenter stuff as soon as like he's talking about ghouls <laughs> yeah uh but yeah so that's coming out soon are there any games that you are looking forward to playing in the future oh well okay it, it's, it's out already but i my next purchase is going to be dredge like i'm really 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 interested in dredge yeah i'm gonna just wait for it to go on sale at this point um, it's, it's rare for me to buy first day games, but, uh, dredge looks really, I mean, HP Lovecraft fishing game. Come on. That's, that's like, a, that sounds incredible to me. Yeah. I was going to bring it up because we're talking about a boat game today and that's one I also want to play. Uh, there's a sequel to Daymare 1998 coming out soon. I, that game was another one that got really bad reviews and like, I understand why it mm -hmm. was clunky. Yeah. He brought that up last were, episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. I did talk about, so that sequel's coming out. I'm pretty excited for that too. Okay. Yeah. Eric, uh, I am in the middle of a series for July called Independence Month. Here at Select and Start, we are celebrating the work done by smaller independent studios, creating experiences that the larger developers are not creating. We're talking about an indie game today, Spiritfarer. Uh, but before we talk about that, uh, what are some of your favorite indie games? You mentioned uh, Dead Cells a moment ago. Yeah, Dead Oh, Oh, gee. See, this is another one of those moments <laughs> where I get put on the spot as far as favorite independent games. Um, technically. Technically, Hitman 2 was independent because IO had broken off and made that game on their own. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess I would throw that one in there. Hitman 2. Um, Go for it. <laughs> no laws. I, I'm not going to tell the, the Hitman guy he isn't independent. God, I mean, Dead Cells. Honestly, I'm actually going to go back to Dead Cells. Dead Cells would probably be... If I had to pick a favorite indie game of all time, it would probably, probably be Dead Cells. Honestly, because like I said, that game, if it's in my like top 20 games of all time, that's probably one that I would go with. I just played West of Loathing and I didn't know that the guy who made it turned out to be a fucking creep or something, apparently. But um, that was a very fun little indie game that I played recently. 
Yeah, I didn't know about that until you just mentioned it. Like, I cannot keep track of the newsletter of who isn't isn't a terrible person. I'm not saying that to like absolve myself of any responsibility or like my purchases, but it's just sort of like a bad yeah, person. Yeah, I had bought the, the game already when I found day out. Ending and why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been playing this indie game right now, actually, called Dodgeball Academia. This is just this is a game I'm playing just for me because it's only a few hours long. Okay. It's on the PlayStation Plus extra tier. It's a very flashy and fun sports RPG from this Brazil-based indie studio called Pocket Trap. It's about attending a dodgeball boarding school, and it's very fun. It's like if you like Pokemon-type games or anime aesthetics, uh, references to sports manga and sports anime all throughout. Uh, I'm just playing on my PS5 right now. Uh, but it can be played on basically every living console at the moment. It's not a game that a lot of people are talking about, but I noticed it on Game Pass uh, a year or two ago. came out in 2021, and I was curious about it now that I have a few hours to kill. Uh, when I have a couple hours to kill, but like don't want to like commit to like a, a narrative game, it's just like nice to just hit somebody with a dodgeball and call it a day. Yeah, I, I actually just saved that in my phone. I've never heard of it before, but that sounds way up my alley. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, general indie games that I love, uh, Stardew Valley, Night in the Woods. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good call with that one. Yeah. Another side-scrolling kind of, you know, existential game. <laughs> um, I played Ape Out recently, which is just a really fun... Uh, mm -hmm. it, yeah, great game. And Hades is the same year as Spirit Fair came out, one of my favorite games ever. You know what? Is there, I have games sometimes that just don't hit right with me. I bought Hades, and... Just didn't just didn't do it for me. Um, Interesting. I, I need to go back to it because sometimes that happens. I played it for like a week and then eventually I was like, I just don't like this that much. I had to do that with and this might piss people off listening. I played Horizon Zero Dawn for the first time recently. And like after a few hours of playing, I was like, I don't think it's that it's not for me. I just don't think it was what I wanted at this point in time. So I was like, I'll come back to this later. And that happens sometimes. And I have Hades right there on my switch. So I should maybe go back and try Hades again. I loved like the storyline. I loved all the conversation. I loved, I loved the dialogue. It was really cool. The level layouts were cool. Just as a whole, it just didn't work for me that well. And eventually I was just like, I'll come back to this at some point. And I need to. Right. No, uh, give it another chance if you can. But it, it, it surprises me that it isn't up your alley because what you like about Dead Cells is sort of like almost like mm -hmm. the joke with indie games is like, oh, this is either like a roguelike, a Metroidvania style game or uh, a farming game. Yeah. Dead Cells and Hades and Risk of Rain and things like that. Those are all very roguelike games that I play the shit out of. I love those games. Yeah, I just I just grabbed Rogue Legacy 2 when it came to PlayStation Plus because I loved the first Rogue Legacy. Like, I'm a big fan of roguelike games, but uh, oh, shit. I don't know why I didn't mention this. I'm also playing Disco Elysium right now. I don't know how oh, I didn't mention that. I don't know why I didn't think to mention that one. I was just thought about that because of the isometric view of Hades and, and mm -hmm. Disco Elysium. Disco Elysium's awesome. The main problem that I have with Disco Elysium right now is that my eyes are fucking terrible. <laughs> and there's a bunch of reading and I need to get glasses because it was giving me a headache. Because I don't, I don't have like a chair that I pull up close to my TV, which is what I would have to do. And I know that there's voice acting, but like I can't see writing on the screen and not try to read along with it even when mm -hmm. there's voice acting going on and so i just kept trying to read it and i got a headache so i really do and i'm needed to anyways not just because of this game i need to get i need to get some glasses for from far away because i just it's i'm 42 now the eyes are not working like they used to. So, mm -hmm. i love disco elysium a lot right it is just very funny the image of like i'm only like i'm gotta get glasses because it makes video games easier to play <laughs> reading video games yeah i gotta read my video games I haven't played Disco Elysium yet. I know I will love it. It makes no sense that I haven't played it yet. I got to get there. Uh, it took me forever to finally start playing Kentucky Route Zero, which is what I'm doing now. That's and a that's great an, one. Yeah, I gotta, I, I'm going through that now. 
yeah there's just so many great indie games that i understand why like you felt like oh it's hard to think of them all because i keep thinking of some as we're talking about it well then as soon as you said kentucky route zero i was like that is one that i would probably put among my favorite cuphead cuphead's indie i love cuphead cuphead's great super meat boy shit i mentioned a couple already (laughs) yeah there's so many and yeah super meat boy was like a really foundational one too in terms Mm -hmm. of like you know making indie games so huge to wear like that and spelunky it's why like every game was like that for a few years yeah but yeah, no, I'm sure we'll remember, we'll remember some games and yell them really loud shortly. Um, <laughs> right. I have a couple of my recommendations here at the end. But enough about indie games. Uh, it's time to talk about death in yeah. an indie game. <laughs> Specifically in the indie game space. We're talking about the game that you picked for this episode. Uh, a game that I just played for the first time myself a few weeks ago. This wonderful game, Spiritfarer. Spiritfarer, as described by the developers, is, quote, a cozy management game about dying, end quote. It was developed and published by Thunder Lotus Games, who previously developed the action-adventure game Jotun in 2015 and the Metroidvania-style game Sundered in 2017. The game's lead writer and creative director is Nicholas Guerin. I apologize for any pronunciation of what you're about to hear because i did not look them up ahead of this episode i meant to and they're all french canadian names so i apologize everybody uh with maxime monast and alex tommy morin serving as writers as well as the level designers for the games the game's art director was joanny gauthier animation director alexander boyer programming director was alexandre monette martin uh or monette martin probably the path of least resistance there who knows um the music of the game was composed by Maxime Lacoste Labouy and Eric Shaw as the audio lead for this game. In Spiritfarer, you play as Stella, who is chosen by Charon, the mythological being who ferries souls to the afterlife, to take over the role as the ferryman of the dead, the Spiritfarer, as the game calls it. Uh, Charon gives Stella, as well as her pet cat Daffodil, the Everlight, a tool that changes shape to suit the user's immediate need. Uh, such as an oar for rowing, a hammer for smithing, things like that. After giving Stella the Everlight, Charon passes through the Everdoor, which is a gateway where deceased souls go to join the afterlife. With the power of the Everlight and a ship, Stella now carries on the duty of finding lost souls, housing them on her ship and fulfilling their final wishes so they can also accept their death and cross the Everdoor into the afterlife. On a gameplay level, the game takes on the form of a side-scrolling management sim. As a ferry master to the dead, you are responsible for both your ship and your passengers. Uh, You need to provide for the people in your care. You have to feed them, provide housing for them, check in with them to see what mood they're in. So you have to traverse the open seas in search of materials to tend to their needs. Those materials can be forged into homes, but also things you can use to alter your material further. A kitchen so you can cook with the ingredients that you find looms so you can make thread and cloth, mills so you can turn wood into planks, so on and so forth. Uh, You're expanding the ship in size and in terms of what it can do as well. So you're not just ferrying souls, you're improving their quality of life, 
death, whatever. Like the description says, cozy management game about dying. It deals with a lot of difficult feelings and emotions with some gameplay loops that are very, very easy to get lost in. Spiritfarer was released on August 18th, 2020. Other games released in 2020 include Animal Crossing, New Horizons, Ghost of Tsushima, The Last of Us Part 2, and Resident Evil 3 Remake. But this is Independence Month, uh, the month celebrating games developed by indie studios, so we should use this space to shout out some indie titles released in the year of 2020, including Bug Snacks, If Found, Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition, Paradise Killer, Spelunky 2, and a game I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite games of all time, Hades. Very quickly, Eric, familiar with any of these games I just mentioned? Oh yeah, I mean, Kentucky Route Zero, Hades, um, If Found. Oh yeah, Paradise Killer. I've never played Paradise Killer, but I, that's obviously one of those names that like stands out every time I see it. So like I know, and I've looked, because I think that one's actually free on PlayStation Plus right now also, if I remember correctly. I think it's free. Yeah, I think it is. I have it on my Switch right now, and I started it. I sw- started it like three years ago, but I started it, and I intend on finishing it because that is a really cool premise. Is it a long game, or is it just one that you haven't gotten? Or like It's not long. It was just like, this isn't the time for this <laughs> uh, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. I like it. And I mean, it deals with the afterlife too. So I do think it pairs pretty well with the game that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But Eric, when you came to me with this game, Spiritfarer, uh, I was genuinely surprised. You, you like Memphis rap and horror films. Your favorite movie is Dawn of the Dead. Your favorite <laughs> game is Resident Evil 4. Uh, after the initial episode, when we were talking about getting you on in the future, you're mentioning games like Eternal Darkness, like really, really gross, grody. And like, look, people contain multitudes. I'm not saying that you can't like the games that you like. Uh, your favorite filmmaker is John Carpenter, though, and this is a game that looks like a colorful cartoon with a management gameplay loop that is often compared to games like Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley. So what the fuck is up? How did you come to play this game? What made you decide on this game? Oh, it's funny you mentioned that because you you brought up one of the things that deterred me from playing this game for a while. I, I had never heard of it before. I just, I missed it when it came out. But then when I started going through the catalog of free games with PlayStation, it was it was in there. You know, it was in the in the PlayStation Essentials or whatever they're called. And I was like, huh, what's this one? And then I looked at the description and saw cozy management. And I was like, fuck this. I, I just because it's like when you micromanage genres. I've talked about this before. I just talked about this in I did an episode of Brian Quinby's guys about horror people horror guys that like horror movies and he asked how people feel about elevated horror and i said that when you micromanage genre names you come up with these titles that turn people off like chill wave music chill wave music is good but people turned on it the minute they called it chill wave because it's like that's the stupidest name i've ever heard in my life so i see cozy management i was like i don't know what this means but it sounds like something that i would not like and then and then one day it was over christmas I was on Christmas break from, from school. We were, you know, we had our Christmas break and um, I just wanted something new to play. And, I, and so I went through and it popped in my head. I looked at it again and I'm like, what's the worst that happens if I play it for 10 minutes and I don't like it. And, yeah. and I jumped in and I, li- I like the art style. You could hug your cat immediately. I was like, okay, I like this. <laughs> um, and then you just like, you started meeting the spirits and it was like, uh, one of the things I love about Disco Elysium, I am, or, or even Stray. I'm a huge fan of like going back to Final Fantasy, the old Final Fantasy Super Nintendo games. I'm the type who, when I go to a new town, I talk to everyone in that town. I love like little bits of dialogue and back and forth thing and stuff. And so yeah. there's a ton of that in this game. You know, like you're constantly dialoguing with your companions. And one of the things that I really like about this that I realized I was like, because I, I still had my my doubts, even though I like the art style. I don't like management games where you like constantly have to be juggling. Like I got this to do and I got to do this by this time. This game is very leisurely. 
if you forget to feed people, like, they might make you feel a little bad when you talk to them the next time. Like, if you forget to feed your ship or whatever. But, like, you're not going to get dinged. They're not going to, like, think less of you or not talk to you. And you're not going to ruin your relationship with this character. You don't got to constantly be juggling a hundred things to do. So, like, I would find myself sometimes playing it, and I wouldn't even, like, advance the story. I would just be like, I'm going to get on my boat. I'm going to grow some new plants. I'm going to tend to my garden. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this, do that, go check out some some areas that I've not uncovered in the map. And, like, there were plenty of times where I would play and not move the story one iota. But that's, yeah, I just kind of on a whim decided to play it. And then when you take your first spirit across, and I was like, wait, this is fucking me up right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like... I knew what it was about. I knew you were going to take people, but like, I, I mean, are we doing spoilers here? Or are we trying to stay away from any spoilers? Uh, we'll do spoilers after I do the No Country for All Games segment. Okay. Okay. So you take the first spirit, which was one that I will think I will say is I figured it was one that was going to be with you for most of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. And all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute. And like, this is in the game. You can kind of take what in whatever order you'd like. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you don't have it. Like, you told me. When you were telling me the order you took them in, I was like, mine was like a lot different other than like one of them, mm-hmm. which is another thing I like. You can kind of like, if they want to go through the Everdor, you don't have to take them immediately. You can ha- keep hanging out with them on your ship and hug them and feed them and stuff. Yeah. And uh, like little uh, pets. <laughs> right. Because I'll tell you right now, some of like a tool, a tool's hugs are my favorite thing in the entire mm-hmm. game. Like the like the noise that he had, a big old frog. It's just such a cute game. It, and I can understand, like I mentioned it on Twitter and most people that had played it really loved it. But I had one person who said it was like too twee for them. And I can understand that. I yeah. could see that from someone that it's like too twee or whatever. But like, I don't know. It just it hit right for me. And I think that like the emotional. The other thing is this for a game about death. It's not grim. I mean, it has its grim moments. Yeah. But it's also very positive and upbeat and happy at most part and a lot of parts, too. And then the game design. The, the character designs, the dialogue's very funny. There's good, strong anti-capitalist messages all <laughs> over the place in it. The way it pays off in the end is just unbelievably like the, when it when you kind of get where the story's going and it all comes together, like uh, the ending is beautiful. It's a great game, just a beautiful game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, as I got more and more into it, I started getting attached to these characters and then it's like, oh, I don't want to take you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like it became one of those things that I was like, this is one of the most like this really this game means a lot to me as I started playing as somebody who does not deal with death very well myself. Yeah, no, this is a game like, you know, we talked about uh, the the various like genres that people stereotype with uh, indie games earlier, like, you know, Metroidvania, cozy game or roguelike. And that's reductive. Obviously, like things take on so many different forms and genres. Uh, I did Outer Wilds, the the episode before this one, and that's a game that doesn't really comfortably fit into any, you know, slotting of what people understand an indie game to be. And this game, uh, while it is very specifically categorized as a, a, a cozy management game about dying, it is a lot more than the simple gameplay loop of tending to your plants and managing your resources and your relationship with the local people. There is a very you know, the, the, the way that it is dealing with like the overall theme of like death being a thing that's constantly around you and inevitably happens to every person. It's very tasteful. Yeah, I really admire that about the game. Uh, my follow up questions before we get into the next segment are what the fuck? How dare you? This game made me so sad. Why didn't you do this to me? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, me too, bud. Uh, it was no, seriously, like. it's a sad it's sad when you and especially like did you ever look up there's an art book that came out for it it was like a limited time thing i don't have it 
but like the the the, the spirit fair wikipedia that you know everything has its own wikipedia now like you yes. can get like because the game doesn't quite it like it it's vague about the characters previous lives enough that like you can gather what their lives were like and quite possibly how they died or at least have an inkling as to how they died right yeah the art book fills that in a lot more like you get whole character bios and stuff and i strongly suggest going back and reading those for each character if you have not yet on the spirit fairer wiki because um there are a couple things that i like i would have i did not catch in the game either i missed it in the dialogue or it didn't it, it was it was a little too vague for me to be like or, or or they left it that way intentionally with like you could fill it in if you would prefer to in this in this companion piece that we did but um knowing like the character's stories it's just it's great if you're sensitive to things like that like i said julian that did uh heroes nerds without pants another video game podcast who mm-hmm. did the, the, the transformers episode of spirit a sound tracker with me you know he said it was just one of his favorite games he's ever played and he'll never play it again um yeah i, I completely understand that it's a very difficult game to uh sit through in parts i was playing a lot of this game with uh my roommate nearby and there was like a moment that i'll talk about later with um you that like made him open up about like a really uh vulnerable part of his life and yeah. i i totally get that it is death and uh, the process of dying are very are the most emotional like feelings a lot of people can deal with. And if you are sensitive about death or um, have very specific feelings about the death of loved ones, friends, family, whatever, it's a game that kind of runs the gamut of like the various forms that death can take. So it's, it's not an easy play. It's not an easy play. Well, and I will say too, the music, the, the music in the game is phenomenal, but the, mm-hmm. the, the specifically the music that kicks on every time you see a spirit through and you give them that big last hug. time gets me every fucking time like it's just a it's just this because again it's not like a sad song at all Mm -hmm. it's like a very like melancholy sort of song you know like it's it's big and it's like very pretty um and and honestly if you took it out of the context of the game it would be like this is like a pretty happy sounding song and and it is but like you're also like these characters that you've gotten to know like this is your you know, you you giving them one final beautiful moment before they cross. And it's just it's great. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, as the, the as the ferryman of the dead, you are not going to see these people ever again as soon as you pass them along to the other side. So it's a mm-hmm. very final thing. So like it's very moving as a piece, like it's very strong. It's mm-hmm. but it, it's not sad necessarily. But like when you hear that noise, like you just can't help but like feel the twinge of loss because you just buried somebody to um, the end. I want to talk about this game more in detail with you. But before we do that, I do want to talk about how easily playable this game is for our listeners and just in general. So we're going to do that in this segment, uh, No Country for Old Games.
breeze through this one because this is actually uh, one of the more playable games that we've covered on this show. Very quickly, video game preservation means a great deal to me. Sometimes publishers feel differently. As time goes on, most video games become harder to access for a myriad of reasons, whether that is because of aging tech, lack of publisher support, shuttered businesses, rights disputes, and so on. Whatever that reason may be, most games end up being less readily available over time. In this segment, we are going to rate the availability of today's game on a scale of A to ARG. And ARG obviously is an expression of frustration and how hard it is to acquire a game. And it is not me covertly advocating for piracy. Uh, that's illegal. Piracy is what Buck likes to do as a little role playing game for you. <laughs> Before I get into that, though, I do have to ask you, Eric, when you get the urge to play this game, uh, how do you play it? Is you see, you said PlayStation 4? Yeah, it's on my PlayStation 4. I actually bought this for my girlfriend for the Switch, though, after I got, like, uh, I bought it for her for a Christmas present because I huh. had, she was trying to build up her Switch collection a little bit. And so, like, I, I knew this would be, like, right up her alley. So, like, this is one that I bought for her for her Switch. So I can always play it that way, too, sometimes if I'm, like, she's doing something when I'm at her house, I can, like, sneak on and, like, just, I won't mm -hmm. advance the game. But, you know, just go do some farming, milk some cows, uh, shave yeah. some sheep, jump around. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great little game to do little mundane tasks with. Like, there's so much you can do without uh, advancing anything. You don't have to move mm -hmm. the needle. Fish. You can go fishing. Exactly. This game was released on PC, Linux, Mac, Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One on August 18th, 2020. The PS4 and Xbox One versions are compatible with PS5 and Xbox Series X and S. It was also released on the Google Stadia Cloud Gaming Service on August 21st, 2020, but that service is now discontinued. RIP Bozo. <laughs> the game received periodic updates after its launch a spring 2021 update added the spirit of lily a swarm of butterflies a summer 2021 update added the spirit beverly tiny owl and the december 13th 2021 final update uh, again all these updates were free added new content including a new island called overbrook as well as two new spirits uh, jackie the hyena and uh, daria the bat so the game that you and i played that was the complete version. But people who played this game uh, on launch did not get so many experiences that I feel are foundational to the game. And again, we'll come back to that in a second. Right. A mobile version was released for iOS and Android via the Netflix mobile app uh, on October 4th, 2022. Not a lot of people know this, but you can play games on your Netflix app. Very difficult to explain. I don't know how well it works, but it is an option. The game was available on Microsoft's Game Pass subscription service, but was removed at the end of August of 2022. You can play this game for free if you are currently subscribed to the PlayStation Plus Extra or Higher tier. That's how I played the game on my PlayStation 5. And lastly, a physical version of the game distributed by I Am 8-Bit can be bought for PS4 and Switch. Physical editions of the game include the game itself, collectible postcards and stickers, a digital download for the game's soundtrack, a digital download of the 96-page digital art book that you mentioned a minute ago, uh, Eric. Uh, a collector's edition of the game is currently available for pre-order that includes all of the above, as well as a reversible cover, a replica of the Everlight, and a Constellation Lantern display box. I don't know if I'm going to buy the special edition, but I am going to buy the physical edition because I did enjoy the game that much. Overall, I give this game an A for availability. A physical version can be actively bought, and you can purchase the game on all major consoles. You can play this game on your phone. This game is everywhere. Yeah, which is great. It's great. Um, and again, with the backwards compatibility that I'm hoping they continue doing in future generations, I'm really hoping they keep that up for preservation purposes. Like, 
this will at the very least, but you know, I'm going to go to PlayStation five soon. And, and, and if it's anything like my PlayStation four or three, I'll have it for 10 years. So I could, <laughs> I'll always have access to this game for like another decade at least. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the case. As long as they continue, as long as they're on the digital storefront, or if you can buy a physical version somewhere, yeah, it's all backwards compatible with the PlayStation 4, which has been super useful because there haven't been a lot of games coming out on the PlayStation 5 until recently. So mm-hmm. that's, that's been great. Spiritfarer was a critical and commercial success, uh, with Thunder Lotus reporting that the game sold over a million copies by December of 2021. The Switch and PC versions currently hold an 84 out of 100 on the review aggregation website Metacritic. But we're not here to reduce Spiritfarer to sales and review scores. We're here to talk about what this game means to somebody who played it. So let's get into it, Eric. Welcome, one and all, to Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends, the actual play podcast that steals. What does that mean? That means that we take stories from corporations and come back and tell our own fanfic-inspired actual plays with them. We do things like a Star Wars podcast that takes place 300 years after The Last Jedi. What if any Zoids media was good? We tell stories in those spaces that are better than the ones that the corporations tell us because we're not f***ing cowards. Please, come join us at Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends to hear a plethora of wonderful stories every once in a while on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends. Hosted by me, Riley Hopkins. What do you like about Spiritfarer? Well, you know, as I said, I'm somebody who, um, I, look, I'm somebody who does not do well with people or things, pets, people, whatever, dying. I don't do well with it. Um, I don't handle it well. Look, I don't go visit, like, graves. I don't, I, I, you know, I help, I go with my mom to decorate my grandparents and my uncle's grave every year to help her out. And that's the only time I'm in a graveyard looking at, you know what I mean? I just don't do it. I don't. I'm one of those people who, when somebody passes away, or an, I, I don't know, I'm one of those people who does my best to just not kind of think about them anymore. I know this sounds terrible, but like, I don't know, that's how I cope. You know what I mean? I don't mean that like I don't think about them, but like, I, I, it's just, I, I, I have really weird coping mechanisms with people dying. Um, of course. And, and this being a game that kind of confronts that head on, but in like a very sweet way. And, and sad way and it kind of touches on like the entirety of like the human experience you know what I mean like life is both beautiful and sad and this game touches on both of those things uh, mm-hmm. and the ups and downs and when you learn about these people's plus I'm a big fan of like games that like build characters you learn about their lives and you learn what the backgrounds were like and all of these characters have these little flaws not all of them poor Stanley but all of these characters have mm-hmm. these these flaws in their lives because they live these long lives that, that all character, all humans and all people are, are, are nuanced and, 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 and layered. And I think this game did a really good job at, like, I've seen people that get mad at certain characters and like a lot of the people who, who like this game, you know, there's a lot of them that, that do not like some of the characters, uh, certain ones. And, and I, I don't think that's, you know, even characters as difficult as like Mickey and Bruce, when you find out why 
they are the way that they are and why it's one carrying the heavy weight of the other. Like it, mm-hmm. and it does a really good job at making every character very human. And um, I just love that about it. Plus the gameplay itself is, there's one of the things I want to talk about. The gameplay itself is incredibly fun. Like it's very fun to just like hop around the ship and like, I loved like setting up the zip lines and like just like zipping up as far as I could and like saying, you know what I mean? Like just stuff like yeah. that sometimes while those like traveling places. And, and then like you get the like the little side quests. Like I hundred percent of this game. I don't do that with very many games, but I like made certain I got a hundred percent here. You know what I mean? Every recipe I did every mm-hmm. uh, Giovanni is one of the characters. That a lot of people can't stand. And I love Giovanni because Giovanni cheated on app. We can talk about this stuff now, right? Like we can. Yeah, that, yeah we're fully in, we're fully in spoiler country. Yeah, Giovanni cheated on Astrid, but like Giovanni hates himself for it. Like he, but he just, he's not, that's the kind of guy he is. You know, he tells you like, I'm not somebody, I I hate what I did to Astrid, but this is just who I am. I don't know. Like, I don't think they ever wanted you to, even uh, Elena, who was like the most prickly of them, like, you know. Yeah. I just think all the characters are very interesting. Everything about the look, the feel just appealed to me hugging people like just going around and like i just go around and be like okay, i gotta hug everyone in the boat right now you know what i mean mm-hmm. i've got to feed them and hug them like i just really appealed to me plus it's such a chill game like it's such a great game to play leisurely you know like i i took my time with this like i said i sometimes i would just get on and travel around and check out cities and like uh open more of the map and 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 and, and make meals and build recipes and go see things and uh yeah it's great it's a, it's a really great game if you're looking for something that's not super urgent no yeah i 100 percent agree what surprised me about this game on my initial playthrough was uh the amount of time that i ended up playing it i went into this game thinking oh you know maybe 20 hours thinking it would be on the shorter side by design because you know people assume that indie games can be short uh and i'm not upset about the length at all so don't don't feel bad about that eric i looked at my total play time towards the end of the game and it was like uh, around 30 34 around 40 by the time i finished up doing all the all the little things which is a final fantasy amount of time to dedicate to a video game that is uh, developed by a studio that is independent and has only developed three games up to this point so very very impressive in terms of what they're able to do but part of that is just because you're invested and you want to spend as much time with these characters as possible and also because the gameplay loop is very reminiscent of farming sim games where you are engaging in the loop of it all like you are tending to a garden you are trying to expand your ship and get all the upgrades for it uh you are fishing you're doing things and the game doesn't put any sort of pressure on you which is the thing that you talked about that i certainly love the most about this game the lack of time pressure which just ties back into the last game that i talked about um outer wilds both are games that have time cycles like there is a beginning of the day and an end of the day for um this spiritfarer uh, outer wilds it's a very specific time limit uh, by it being a time loop game but neither demand that you make progress within a certain time constraint the only pressure is what you put on yourself when you really think about this game everybody's already dead like what are you in a hurry for right there's there's nothing that you really have to put on yourself you do not have to feed your character as far as i know you do not need to sleep even though your character can go to sleep and that was something that i I kept putting Stella to bed anyway, just because even though like it did not offer any material benefit, even if I was in the middle of some stuff, I was like, well, everybody's asleep. The thing I love the most is talking to everybody and it's just kind of quiet. So I'm going to I'm going to go to bed, too. (laughs) So and like you said, like nobody will suffer 
if they're hungry, like their mood will drop and you want to manage their mood because you want everybody to be happy because you feel compelled internally to make them happy. I had all the sheep on board and I did not need wool for basically the second half of the game because I had it in spades, but I kept feeding them anyway because I did not like the Emmett thought of these animals not being tended to. So I just sort of did it anyway. It doesn't make sense to like engage with pixels on this uh, on this level, but I did it because I felt compelled to. And I love the animation when you shave them too. Their eyes get huge. Mm-hmm. And like right when they know that you're about to shave them, you get those scissors out and they, their eyes get big and they look back at you as you like zip around them and the fur, the wool goes flying everywhere. Yeah, I was the same way. I had, and especially once I built my orchards and I had all those trees, I had like unbelievable amounts of like apples and cherries. And like when I ended the game, I had just an ungodly amount of food in my inventory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I had so much, but I kept baking anyway, just because I right. not, like I never know when I'm going to need like a, this specific dish. But just in case, because you don't eat, your character doesn't eat. It's you're, you're strictly feeding people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, it's just I was trying to get all the recipes. I was trying to play with every single configuration just to make sure that I I, I made everything. 55 burgers, 55 fries, 55 tacos, 55 pies, 55 coke, 100 tater tots, 100 pizzas, 100 tenders, 100 meatballs, 100 coffees, 55 wings, 55 shakes, 55 pancakes, 55 pasta, 55 peppers, and 155 taters. I'm not the kind of person that needs to get every achievement, but just because I was playing the game the way I was playing it, I ended up getting almost every single one of them on that first playthrough just because I liked engaging with all of the mechanics that the game laid out for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That was like, I, I think that's the thing that I maybe if I had to pick what appealed to me the most is the two things being the fact that there's like it's leisurely. And 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 again, like I said, the gameplay itself, like the platforming and stuff and like is very fun. Like it's very smooth and fluid. You can't die like your character can't miss a jump and die. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst that happens is you got to start from the lower. You know, some of those areas are going to like traverse mountains and like the, use the, the breezes and stuff like that or, or hop on tents to like trampoline yourself and but i was like always looking forward to getting new skills and finding finding shrines yeah i just i wanted to consume every like i wanted to i you know the one thing that i fucked up in this game and i was so mad at myself is that i forgot to build the like the last two things that astrid wanted in her house before i took her and i was like fuck she didn't have a perfect house like she didn't get (laughs) that pleasure on the ship and i was like mad at myself and i went and finished those anyways after she was gone yeah, I completely forgot that like Astra doesn't require those things to be built to meet that condition because I always just assumed that that was like a condition of a character passing on. But it would make sense that Astra doesn't want for anything because of her personality and her whole attitude of like, I'm a labor's right activist. My favorite food is plain food. You don't gotta you don't have to deck out my home. She doesn't get mad at you like Ellie does for for uh, or Elena does for for putting stuff in her house. Elena like would get mad at you. It would bring her mood down if you put anything nice in her house. <laughs> yeah, if you did anything with Elena other than like feed Elena, like Elena would just get un- unreasonably mad at you. Like if you if you like go for a hug and somebody's not in the mood for a hug, they're just like, no, thank you. But if you go for a hug with Elena at any point while she's on the ship, it will actively lower her mood because like it it freaked her out that she would even ask. I mean, that's interesting. Like you talked about like, oh, this game deals with like the the complexities of human nature. None of these characters are really stereotyped. The game does a really good job um, defining these characters and giving them depth. Uh, there are two different old lady characters and they are completely different in terms of uh, how they talk to you and your relationship with them. 
And it, that's that's a very hard thing to do because like any other game that had that, I'd be like, oh God, two old lady characters. This is the same stereotype or whatever. But no, I mean, they're completely on different sides of like personality spectrum. Yes. Yeah. So like when a character like Elaine is like, I don't want to hug. Do not hug me ever. I can't really get mad at the game because it's like, well, yeah, in real life, some people do not like physical contact. That there's this very interesting like dynamic with Elena, that a character that I didn't get to spend a lot of time on because they were at the very end of my playthrough. But it was just like an interesting thing where it's like this character is so radically different from most of the people that you make contact with. And the idea that like it challenges you to like, I mean, it makes sense that some characters like, oh, I don't like Giovanni because Giovanni is a cheater. I don't like uh, Mickey because he's so aggressive towards you. Uh, But this is a game that's trying to teach you like, look, yeah, that's people are different and people are good. People are bad. And they're still fundamentally human people. Where does your empathy lie in that? Yeah. Like the little conversations you have with them as you're escorting them, I think every time are like where you really see the depth of the character, even ones that didn't maybe like a Bruce or Mickey. Like I said, Bruce and Mickey, when you find out the story that, that, that Mickey was uh, comatose and like the weight of Mickey, Bruce is the like, little bird carrying around the weight of his brother that he couldn't let go. Or, or, yeah, sorry, or yeah, Mickey's the one that is the one who falls into the coma and Bruce is the one that talks. Sorry about that earlier mistake. You know, a character like Jackie, who's obnoxious as hell, but when you find out that Jackie, I don't know how Jackie passed away, but it feels like it's heavily in, it's heavily hinted that it might've been like self-inflicted the way he talks about himself and like not wanting people near him and all of that. You know what I mean? I, I mean, like that's a very valid, you know, interpretation. I think the art book says it's a traffic accident, but it doesn't go any further than that. Okay. But I think that I, 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 thought, I thought for some reason there was something that was like, that it might've been like a, like it was like intentional though. You know what I mean? A traffic right. accident, but one that they think, but maybe, yeah, maybe I'm wrong about that. I thought that that was one of the like things that they, but okay. Uh, can, can I toss a question at you while we're on this? Yeah, oh, go for this it. is one you're going to ask me. What was the character that got you the most when you like got their backstory and had to like, you know, it, it came time, I guess. Yeah, no. And that's a great question. And one I had a very variation of that where it's like if you had a favorite spirit, because I figured we were going to talk about this anyway. I messaged you uh, when uh, Alice's happened. Alice yeah. being a hedgehog on your on your boat that um, is like she she comes onto the boat and like she's shy uh, in life, she was a stay-at-home parent. She didn't have a lot of friends. And like you have to actually put in the work when this person comes onto your ship to actually engage with them. Because while other characters like Atul are very social, or uh, how um, Bruce is very vocal about the stuff that he wants, Alice has to open up to. You have to like engage with Alice. You have to check in on Alice. You have to make sure that she's tended to because she isn't out and about the way the rest of the characters are. So like you make a really close personal connection with Alice because like you have to sort of work to get anything out of her. So when you do engage with her storyline and her errands more and like you see the pieces of her storyline happen and like she hurts herself and her memory's failing and it, you know, like she talks about how old that she is, like it can't help but devastate you because it's. You know, you're dealing with like very real, the very real uh, pain of experiencing somebody with dementia who isn't there. And what happened was like, like it was very hard to take her across because of how like, you know, at one point in the game, she injures herself and like it's hard for her to walk for the rest of the time that she's on her ship as uh, on Stella's ship. 
And that broke me. That devastated me because everybody else is, you know, relatively healthy. They can take care of themselves. But like Alice has to be tended to. You have to like lower Alice's house if you have her up on any level of elevation. It's because she can't climb ladders anymore. And her memory is kind of gone. So you can't have like in-depth conversations with her. She's very confused. She's mistaking you for her own child. It, it, this is, it's devastating. Oh, yeah. Alice. It was Alice or Stanley for me. Like mm -hmm. Alice, because, you know, you, you, she's an old. And the thing is, once you get to know her, though, then she becomes like very grandmotherly, like making clothing and like you just like like your sweet old grandma on the ship. And then when you yeah. start to because you go to that, you go to the town the one day and she's like kind of snippy with you. She gets like mad at you. And it's like this weird mood swing. And it's like, well, what's going on with her? And then when you see that she's starting to forget things, that's when you're like, oh, shit, she had dementia in life. Which is just like mm -hmm. the worst disease. It's the worst. And yeah, like when she's calling you her daughter as you're taking her across. And then there's that one moment where she's like, wait a minute, you're not, you're not her, are you? And then she goes back to like, well, you know, or like she's, you know, talking about her husband and like, you know, hopefully he can come here with us next year. Like not, she has no idea where she is at that point. Yeah. And then, and then Stanley, who's like a child and he's like worried that he like, disappointed his parents dying and like it's just it's just it's awful but like it's not awful in like a manipulative way you know what i mean like it, yeah you could do something like that in a very manipulative way and it's not it seems very honestly that the fear that you would have is like a you know a child who died of was it cancer with him i think that was what it was i, I think i believe it was like he died of cancer or something and that's the thing like they don't ever explicitly say things so it doesn't feel lifetime movie manipulative when like you learn any detail about them like the thing mm -hmm. that you clock about with stanley when you first meet stanley is like they're a kid which is like already enough that's already enough for me to be like oh this is sad that's already enough but like they don't do like the whole like mommy and daddy said i had like a disease and i'm going right to it doesn't do that he's just it, it very he's not engaging with the you know the disease like that's not what stanley is is he's not his condition he's talking about like stuff that he likes to do and mm -hmm. you indulge in the stuff that he likes to do you're not just like trying to get information out of him like how what's wrong with you what's going on yeah i saved him for last he was the one i took before it was time for well you know i i guess that we can say this now before it was time for us to go through the spirit door for a time it was for stella to go through um, yeah you're a funny guy sally i like you that's why i'm going to kill you last it's shocking to me that lily was an update because she's so important to the final story yeah it's that like that and like Jackie and Daria feel like such like a conclusive like like that feels like a very much like a towards the end kind of thing because uh, their storyline is about uh, a hospital that you go to and late in the game you like find out that in life Stella was um, an orderly who worked in specifically like end of life care like her job was to make people's life more comfortable as they were like in going towards like the inevitable demise of death and like that being she was a spirit fairer of her her life and like jackie was like in stella's life somebody who he worked with at the hospital that she worked at and daria was a patient that they both worked with it's a very dark thing like jackie like fucks up and mistreats jackie because he thinks it's schizophrenia but it's like a much more complex condition and so like he's giving her the wrong treatment and it's making her catatonic state even worse it's it's very uncomfortable but like in a way that isn't again cloying it's just sad i can never find it in myself to fully hate jackie because like you know that you know he's like doing the self-loathing thing but they don't do it in a way where it's like oh what was me 
in a manipulative way from his position or a manipulative way from the game's position of like feel bad for him but it's just kind of like i know you've, you've known jackie and like co-workers that you've worked with before in some job or you've known somebody like that who was a friend at one point in your life and then it got too real and they just didn't take care of themselves and like you don't know if like it's healthy to cut this person out or if you want to help them or not yeah and that's where a lot of this works like if these stories come from like developers um uh, like real lives or their facsimiles of them or um the game's creative director at an interview said that he actually like spent a month speaking to people who were um in end-of-life care and like interviewing them about their experiences in their lives partially immortalizing their stories in this game but also like he was trying to gain like the the sensitivity to not make this just a, a generic story or a twee thing he was trying to like put some reality into it because he wanted it to be an artful experience and you can tell that playing that these characters came from like because like yeah i've heard like some of them like one of them is based on one of the creator's grandmother certain characters are based on like people that like these people lost in real life um or knew in real life and you know and like i said then finding out that like your entire voyage is you while you're you who has done this for people your whole life who died is dying of cancer in the hospital. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or what again, I don't know if it was, I can't remember if they specifically say, cause I think Lily even says what was going, like what you, you called and said that you had like, you know, you called scared because you had something. And I think it was, I think it was, yeah, I think it was cancer, but, um, you know, finding out that like Lily, Lily on the ship is like them in the hospital with you talking to you. But again, none of this is done in a way where it feels like this is manipulative. What about not getting to say goodbye to a tool? <laughs> yeah, that sucked. All of a sudden, he's just gone. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, I was like, no way. And I went in his spirit flowers in his place. And I was like, fuck. Yeah, I was holding out on that one, like because the spirit flower was there. And that's a very definitive thing about the game where it's like if flower is there, that means they're gone. And it's very it was a very real human emotion. I felt about it, like the denial that he was gone. I felt that denial. Like I actually went through like the five stages of grief, like <laughs> trying to figure out like what happened to my uncle. <laughs> he was a good natured person. He was very sweet. Um, there was aspects of my real life uncle that I saw in a tool because my um, uncle is a contractor um, still alive, by the way, and didn't mysteriously disappear. But like it was just sort of like I had like real life feelings about this guy in my game. My uncle who loves to cook and is also a carpenter. <laughs> And then, like, he just suddenly disappears, and it's like, oh, my God, that is what happened. <laughs> and, like, every, most everybody else, except for Buck, Buck is the only person, uh, the only other person that you never take across uh, for different reasons. But, like, a tool, like, disappears. But you, you know for sure that he's never coming back when he's gone. Right. When the flower's there, it's like, okay, well, they're not pulling a fast one here. Like, a tool is gone, gone. And he went on his own. You know what I mean? You didn't get to see him off. like. Cause he didn't want to burden you. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. what you kind of gather. It's not that a tool did it to be a dick. Yeah. Cause uh, he didn't said like his like complicated relationship with his actual children. Uh, when you talk to him, he's like, I feel bad that I didn't do enough for my kids. And I was like, that sign can't bother me. Cause I can't read. Um, <laughs> but no, the, the flags are all there and then he disappears and it's like, Oh no, that happened to me. Yeah. I think the best part about this is that like none of this, it, it's almost like, okay, I'm going to pull up, I'm going to do a weird comparison here, but the Hitman games, the Hitman okay. games are fun mm -hmm. because they're not these gritty murder simulators. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're goofy. And this game is 
as good as it is because it's not this grim death simulator. Like it's a, it's a lot more than that. Despite what we said, it's not like all gloom. And even when you take them across, it's not gloom. Most of the characters have made peace and they're they're like maybe not excited to cross, but like okay with crossing. Yeah. Nobody's putting up a fight when it's time to cross. Like they the whole thing is like you are making this objective death into something that they can accept. So nobody's like being dragged, kicking and screaming to the Everdoor. You're supposed to be, if you're using the orderly, you know, comparison, the end of life care uh, nurse, whatever you want to call it, you're supposed to be the nurturing presence. You're not doing something against somebody's will. You're helping them to accept the situation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like it's good that like, nobody's like, never take me there. I never want to go there. Don't do that. Like, no, like there's so many great spirits. I don't think there's a truly, um, like you said, like the 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 beauty of this game is how com- complex everybody is. There's there's no real unbearable character to it. So I'm not going to ask you like who's your least favorite or anything like that. But I do want to ask you: Are there any issues with the game itself that you like struggle with? Honestly, no. I can I, I, That is one thing I can say with 100% honesty. I, okay, I will say it one. Okay, I guess the one issue that I had is there was one point. Sometimes it doesn't make things clear. I didn't realize that I had to. To, to move to keep the game going I had to build something that I had the material for mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that I had the material for because it doesn't like hold your hand necessarily and where you go next but like it's also not hard to figure it out but there was like right. one point where I was like what the fuck do I do to keep the game moving like there's no new dialogue I can't find places I'm, like going to different towns hoping to find something and then it turned out all I needed to do was build something on my and like it, I saw it in my list of like things to do but I didn't realize that it was like something that I could make in like the 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 um it was one of the materials that I had to make in like the foundry or something. And I didn't realize that it was made out of one of the things that I had to build this like shack. Again, I don't remember this was like early on in the game, but it was something that I needed to build to advance the story, and then it did. But I guess that would be like the only thing is that like sometimes you you don't know what to do next. But like I also feel like that's a kind of not the best complaint because it really is pretty easy to figure things out. Yeah, I never needed a walkthrough at any point for this game, and I'm stupid. So I think I, I think you know, if you do need a walkthrough for this game, no, no judgment by the way. But uh, <laughs> normally, I do need a kind of walk. I, I need to look up if like there's something like you know very specific that you do have to do to initiate progress. Like a lot of video games I play, where it's like, oh, you just had to go through this door, and I'm like, that door was there the entire time. But with this. I never had that experience because like I did get stuck at some point, like you said, like I think there's like one little thing that you have to like upgrade or build because some upgrades for your ship are contingent on you getting X amount of spirit flowers, which means that you do have to carry somebody across the Everdoor at some point. Yeah. So you just have to like figure out from there, like, okay, this is the only thing I'm missing to get this upgrade for me to get to the next section of the map. Who is closest to being done? And what am I missing? And once you like go at least three or four steps back from that, you can figure it out from there. But it's not like a game that's like objective, sub-objective, sub-objective, sub-objective. And that's the other thing too. When it, when you take Gwen, you know, Gwen's the first one. Gwen's the first person you pick up. And I'm thinking Gwen will be like your companion for most of this. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, wait. And like, I'm like, well, I don't have to take you now. And then it's like to go any further in this game, I have to have a spirit flower, which means I have to take Gwen to continue the game. It's that, that yeah. the one the one character that it forces your hand that you have to take at a certain time is Gwen. And it's like the one that felt like she was going to be with you the longest. It does. Yeah. Like that's the one that you make the very personal connection with because there aren't a lot of people on your ship at that point. And it's also the one who's been the most directly helpful to you in terms of like helping you come to grips with the game and figuring out what to do. 
Well, and and she was your friend. I mean, all these characters you knew in real life, they're all people that you saw through in one way or another and either either in the hospital, you knew them somehow. And Gwen was like your really good friend in real, your best friend in real life. Yeah, and that relationship is very much felt. Like there's that they talk with history. It's great. Yep. Like, like I think it's a great thing that they do this uh, the spirit flower thing where it's like you cannot completely disregard the um the uh, Everdor for most of the run through, like you have to like take some people across if you want to be able to experience more of the game. Yeah. Great game design decision. I love that. I think that does come like a little bit become a problem later in the game because there is a point where you do have all of the map and then you do struggle with like the, the decision to take somebody across or not. And this may be a result of how I played the game, but it feels like the people who join your boat later do not spend nearly as much time with you as the people earlier in the game. Uh, like a tool, Summer, Astrid, Giovanni, and Gustav were on my boat for quite a long time. But, and I love Stanley. Stanley's one of my favorites, but comparatively, because of the way I was able to knock all of his tasks out and I wasn't really thinking about it, uh, because I wasn't thinking about, like, oh, I'm going to take him across the door eventually. I just want to help him have a little show. Yeah. I was able to knock all of his tasks out very quickly because I had all the resources available to me. Whereas, like, with a tool, it takes you a long time to get a couple of things to upgrade his home. Mm-hmm. So it just like Stanley did not stay on my boat nearly as long as I'd like to have. Uh, and Elena, I barely had on my boat at all because like by that point, I barely had anybody on my ship to take care of. So like, I just did not get that closeness for a couple of characters that I would have liked to. Like I loved Stanley, but it still didn't feel like I had him on the ship as long as I had a tool. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, for me, I kind of held off on a tool so that anyone wanted to tell me he was ready to go to the Everdor. Yeah. And so like I was just like and then finally it got close to the end and I'm like, well, I guess I should probably have his big dinner party while there's like still people on the ship. I don't want it to just like me and him sitting there because I've taken everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh and then he was gone and I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean there were a couple like Elena, Elena, I got her shit done and got her off pretty quick. But like yeah, like characters like Gustav and 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 Summer. Um Summer actually was the second one that I took. So Summer was not with me for long either. Mm. But but I loved summer. Like I loved summer and I was so sad to see summer go. Um, yeah. So you had to finish it for the show. So you had to kind of like work your way through it. You know what I mean? Like I had like days. I mean, I, I, it took me months to finish this game, chipping away little bits at a time after those first two weeks where I was playing it like a lot. Um, so like I had, I guess a lot more time with the characters, each one really other than Elena, who I was like, we're going to get you off of here. Cause you're kind of unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting contradiction to have with a game where it's like you want to play as much of it as possible, but like completing more means that you lose people that you have a sh- lot of attachment to. Mm-hmm. So it's a game that is like kind of most conducive to short bursts, not because like the game becomes repetitive necessarily, but just because if I play this in a lot of smaller sessions instead of like several big sessions, I feel like I'm spending, you know, months with these people instead of a few weeks like I did. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it's a great. And I'm interested to see what I would do if I were to replay this game as hard as that would be emotionally, because you and I had completely different, um, you know, configurations as to when we took people across the Everdoor. Yeah. Yeah, because a tool like, you know, he was on my ship for a long time, but he wasn't there for the second half of the game. And it sounds like he was there for almost your entire playtime. Yeah, he was there until um, I had Stanley, Jackie and Buck were the only people on the ship when I took when a tool disappeared. Yeah, and they were like, they were the only ones I had left. Yeah, I still didn't have like the the stuff to get through the fog by the time a tool was gone. So, oh shit, yeah, like he was there for most of the game, but like not not all of it. 
I, it makes me feel like, did I play the game wrong or did I just play the game differently? You just played it the way you wanted to play it. Yeah. And that's interesting because, um, and this is, a, I pulled up this article for research because there were a lot of good notes in it from the creative director of the game who he was talking about the creative process of it and like how they arrived at certain points. Like that's where I pulled that point with about him, like interviewing people for a month before developing the game because he wanted to like approach it with the right sensitivity. One thing, the interviewer of this GameSpot article, it's conducted by Jamie Remy. Um, I'll include it in the description of this episode if you want to read it. He says, you mentioned something specific. Uh, Spiritfarer wasn't always set on a boat. And the director says like, yeah, the original idea was like it was going to be set on a train, like in Spirited Away, uh, like the scene where um, uh, Chihiro is uh, vibing on a train uh, when she leaves the bathhouse for a section of the movie. Um, she's taking a train with a spaceless stranger and a train travels on the ocean. It's a really chill vibe, yet melancholic, beautiful, and poetic. Fun fact is that I'm a Zelda game fan, and one of the Zelda games that's least appreciated is Zelda Spirit Tracks. It was on the Nintendo DS, and it was right after Phantom Hourglass, which was an awesome game because you're on a ship and could basically use your map to pinpoint places, which is exactly what you do uh, in Spirit Bearer. Like, the open-endedness is like exactly how you move the map around in a Zelda Phantom Hourglass. Continuing his quote, Oh, I want to go there. Oh, there might be a chest there. That's going to be cool to find. Whereas Spirit Tracks was mainly boring as hell. You had to place tracks on the map and then, oh man, I probably am a boat person much more than I'm a train person. The train itself is interesting and a fantasy, but for Spirit Bearer, it just didn't click. So it's just interesting because of the way that like how open-ended this game is, is because it's set on the open seas and how you're able to go around is because you're literally like setting the exact coordinates you want to go every time you um, open your map. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to look at that. You have to send me that article. I've never read it, so I'd like to, I'd like to see that too. No, yeah, it's like most of my notes has come from this article. Like he talks about like uh, how the game sort of ended up being uh, 35 to 40 hours long. He didn't mean necessarily to make it that long. Saying like, yeah, we had a hard time keeping track of ourselves because we were just at some point adding stuff on top of one another things we liked and we really wanted to do and the playtime is inflated by the mere concept of it being a farm sim you know in which you have to resources to craft and get and the first iterations were much more game heavy in which you had to craft more resources and find more of them or different types in bigger quantities and i had to tone that down pretty heavily but it became something that was still interesting but at a simple level and not extremely complex so they had to hold themselves back during development from making the game too uh, involving because they were already at like a 40 hour playtime with the most basic level of crafting and uh, farm simulation. That's cr- I, I'm glad I'm glad they went the way they did because I really liked spending as much time as I did in this world of this game, you know? Yeah, the length is part of its beauty, but like it's also that sort of thing where like if this was any longer, it would become tedious at a point, right? Yes, uh, because like none of the none of the stuff that you have to do is particularly deep. In fact, like there was a point where I was actively dreading like having to like go to the sawmill just because like when you hit something wrong in that, the feedback sucks. <laughs> but otherwise, like most of the tasks, tasks are fine. I never really fully got the rhythm for smithing either, but like that's fine. I like hitting things with a hammer. Yeah, that I did. I did that and the windmill pissed me off. <laughs> but yeah, uh, going back uh, about like the pacing thing, another interesting quote that stands out in this article uh, that he did for GameSpot. He, he has like reckon with reconcile with the length because um, we should make this game endless, shouldn't we? I mean, it's a farm sim. But then they asked the question, like, how can we make an endless game about finite lifetimes? So it became a kind of weird hybrid. The playthrough is inflated because of this, mainly. But the spirits, they all have stories to tell. And the amount of storyline is quite large. There may be 90,000 words in Spirit Spiritfarer, which is quite large for three writers. 
Yeah. I, I, I didn't realize there were only three people that wrote for this. That's crazy because, yeah, there's so much story and so much dialogue and so much. Yeah, that's I didn't I guess I didn't realize there were only three writers on this whole thing. Yeah, no, it's a very, very dense game. Like, I feel like like is it, it's not just the spirits that you talk to. There's people on all the islands and towns that you visit and they all have little quests and requests and errands. And some of them do have a bit more than just like a very basic, you know, hey, can you find some lemons for me? Like they all have like stuff beyond that. And some of it's humorous. Like there's some people who like, it's like in the service of a joke, like people that it's like when you have to help like the rappers move their mixtapes, like those little errands. Yeah. Yeah. But there is some stuff like uh, when you um, are doing like the initial thing for Astrid, if you talk to all the little like labor workers, they all have a different unique take on the on the strike. And it's just very funny how much uh, very funny. And I also appreciate how much work was and giving every uh, NPC that you encounter distinct uh, stuff to say. Yeah. And sometimes if you talk to them more than once, you'd get different things. Yeah, I would try to exhaust it as much as possible. And so you just sort of get dot, dot, dots or something repeated. Yeah. Because so many people say the same, uh, have different things to say after talking to them. Yep. The NPC that I like the most is like um, when you get to, it's the North, the, the, the one that's supposed to be a facsimile of uh, North America. Uh, there's a park where you can cut down trees. And uh, <laughs> there's a guy who's like in charge of the park. He's like, my job is to make sure that nobody <laughs> cuts down the trees. And oh, yeah. Cut the trees. He's like, stop doing that. Why are you doing that? Chasing You're you around. <laughs> And then he like stalks you as long as you're on that island because he's like, you're a horrible person. Why would you cut down trees? And the trees grow back. They grow back pretty quickly. But it's just like, at the time, he's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> he's like horrified with you. Yeah. Great game. Yep. I love it. Before I move on, uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about the game before I ask about its uh, impact on you? No, I, and I think I covered like the things that I like the most about it. Um, and we got into the nitty gritty of like, I wanted to find out the most, like which care, kind of find out how you did it, your playthrough and like what characters like hit you the hardest and all that. And I think, I think I've covered everything I wanted to say. Yeah. The thing that sold me um, on the game and uh, not sold me, but like a thing that was like, oh, I know I'm going to like this game is um, sometimes characters will quote something and they don't necessarily attribute the quote to um the thing they're quoting but i will recognize the quote from something gwen the first person that joins your ship the friend of yours in life uh her favorite food is coffee um and when mm. you give her coffee for the first time she says um you know this is excuse me a damn fine cup of coffee i've had i can't tell you how many cups of coffee in my life and this this is one of the best which is verbatim what uh, Dale Cooper says in the first episode of Twin Peaks. When Twin he, Peaks, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things ever. So I immediately clocked the qu quote and I appreciated that they didn't uh, just like put it in there, but like had like several lines of dialogue from the show. Yeah. Without, without like winking and nodding at you about it though. It's just in there. Like it's, it's, it's very naturalistic. It, I mean, if you know what it is, you're going to be like, oh yeah, it's Twin Peaks. But like, if you didn't, you would just think it was like a normal line of dialogue. They don't like make a point of being like, I've heard that before or some shit, you know? Yeah. Like they have a couple more like that that I noticed. Um, when you take Astrid to uh, the Everdoor, at one point she says, "Life is suffering. It is hard. The world is cursed, but still you find reasons to keep living." And that's a great line. It's from Princess Mononoke. Okay, which, which is good. It's a great line, and it very much is um in line with her character. The person who says that is an overworked person who is gravely injured in the context of the movie. So it, it makes sense. But I did like say that's fucking Mononoke. <laughs> See, I didn't, yeah. I didn't catch that one. 
there's one more that I wanted to point out uh, because I was on your show to talk about a Wes Anderson film. Gustav is a falcon and an art curator who's on your ship. And the character is broadly based off of a great-grandmother of one of the developers. But it's also a character um, in terms of attitude and name based off of uh, Gustav from Grand Budapest Hotel, who's also an art collector. And um, when you take him to the Everdor, one of the lines that he quotes is from Gustav and Grand Budapest Hotel. You see, there are still faint glimmers of civilization left in this barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known as humanity. Which again, like, is perfectly in line with the character Gustav that you know in the game, but it is also word for word what Rafe Pine says in the movie. And see, I've only seen Grand Budapest Hotel one time. I liked it a lot. I just, I didn't, not enough to like have caught that. Yeah. There may be more, I don't know, but those were definitely the ones that I clocked on my initial playthrough. And I see, I, 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 it's been so long since I played. I guarantee you there's other ones. Cause as soon as you said the coffee one, I had forgotten about the coffee one too. But as soon mm-hmm. as you said Astrid and the coffee or Gwen and the coffee, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are other ones because this is a game with like little pop. There are a lot of pop culture sort of references floating throughout this that I guarantee I either didn't catch or or did and don't remember now. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure like now that you mentioned it, like I did probably catch more at the time, but those were the ones that I just wrote down playing through it. But yeah, the game does have a sense of humor. Two of those moments that I presented were like very sincere and like were pretty considerate quotes. Some people may have issue with the fact that like, oh, they took a quote during a serious moment from another thing. But I think it tracks and you try writing 90,000 words. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, they, they could borrow what they want. Yeah. But I do also like the affection and uh, work that went into this and uh, the love that it has for humanity, like the, uh, the labor rights plot line that I said, like, that's not something you would see in a big AAA video game. It's just a worker strike that is using anti-capitalist uh, sentiment. But this game goes for it directly. Yeah, like I, I, that's that's a big thing in indie games, really. Like we talked about Night in the Woods or um, Disco Elysium. We've talked. There's the two that I can think of in the show where we've talked about where there's like very strong anti-capitalist sort of messaging, and that's like the shit you'll find in indie games. Yeah, and I appreciate those for that, and I love Night in the Woods for that um, anti-capitalist, uh, very, you know, the, the stories that like you don't normally hear or are told in traditional stories like the story of a night in the woods is a very specifically told story about a person at a certain age, not knowing where they're going in life and that intimacy and uh, the, the, the richness of those characters is very rarely felt in a more polished product. That's mainly trying to sell you on gameplay. And when you try to describe the gameplay of a night in the woods to somebody, it's hard to say in a single sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this is a great game. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you pitching this to me because it means I finally got the opportunity to sit down and play it. So thank you for that. Of course. On an emotional level, what impact would you say this game made on you? Oh, I mean a ton. This game absolutely, like at many points, at many, pretty much every time I had to take someone, it was like, okay, here we go. Like, race yourself. You know what I mean? But like, in a way, like I said, I'm somebody who doesn't confront death head on in any way. And this game absolutely does that. And and in like in a beautiful way. This is a game that I could see myself playing again if I lose someone close to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though it would be like hard, this is a game that I could see playing down the road, hopefully way down the road if I lose somebody in my family or a friend or something um, to, to make myself feel better. Because I think this deals with death in a way that is both honest and um, sort of softens the blow a little bit. You know what I mean? And this, this idea that like, like, I don't know, this is, I can, you can get to this whole conversation on its own, but like the, the, in this game, 
there's a concept of an afterlife, which is like a comforting thought, even if it's not something that like I necessarily subscribe to, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that that that's a comforting thing to me. And uh, but like, yeah, on an emotional level, I mean, this game fucked me up a lot of times. Um, yeah. But again, not in like a not in like a way. The, the thing I have got to stress is that not in a way that it was ever like this is not like a grim playthrough. And I mm-hmm. just want to make that point very clear. But like the emotional impact and the mo- emotional beats are extremely earned when they come. Yeah, absolutely. And your point about the afterlife is very interesting because, um, you know, I, you know, definitely appreciate your um, perspective and like the way that this game made a material impact on you and your relationship with death. What I really love about this game is how agnostic it kind of is about what the afterlife is. Yeah. It's very like frank about death and the impacts that it has on the people who are alive. It has an impact on the people who die and like they're sort of what are my regrets? And like, what are the things I wish I had done better? What are the things I could have done differently? And then like the acceptance of who they are before finally being able to move on. I love the interpersonal dynamics there and like the conversations that people are having with you and within themselves about accepting the inevitable end that every single human being on earth will have. And it's very interesting. I'm very glad that you picked this game because it it does very much feel of a piece with the last game I talked about, Outer Wilds, where, um, both are about death and finality. And in neither instance do you, the player, get to experience what beyond the end is like. But you do have a sense of peace. You don't feel cheated out of a definitive ending by seeing what beyond the end looks like. Yep. And I haven't played Outer Wilds, but I really want to play that. Now you're making me like bump. I'm going to have to bump that one up here because I've it's been on my list. I just have never got, I've not gotten around to it. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and making that comparison with this, mm-hmm. I'm, now I'm even more interested than I was before. Yeah. Like they don't have a lot in common, but they do have like the very broad theme of like death is always around you. Mm-hmm. And it's a testament to any games that they both deal with the theme of death and the end in wildly, wildly, wildly different ways. And that's another thing you talking about your relationship with um, death is making me uh, this game did very much make me confront my relationship with death as Outer Wilds did as well. So I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And I've also been thinking about it a lot lately in terms of human nature and how we treat each other as people in life. Because when we you know, see each other, we're not like sort of thinking like, oh, that person's going to die one day. The way that people talk about their relationships with people in life, like Astrid talking about Giovanni and Giovanni talking about Astrid or um, Atul talking about his own children the remorse that they have it does make me feel more alive in a way where it's like i had these lessons these are lessons being imparted to me by people who wish they had done something different in life mm-hmm. and it did make me appreciate life a lot more as much as it also made me feel a lot more comforted by the idea of death yeah yeah like the mistakes are natural but also you also have opportunities every single day of your life to make things better a good that's a good i mean that's great that's a great uh takeaway from any video you know what i mean like i would have never assumed playing like mario that i would be having a conversation <laughs> like this about a video you know what i mean super mario brothers they're like i would be having conversations like this about video games someday yeah exactly when i um when i was like 14 years old i thought like i played final fantasy 4 and i'm like this is the best storytelling that'll ever be in video games and now i'm like playing spirit fair and i'm like this is the best storytelling that'll ever be in video games. It's interesting because like both like this game is very video gamey in how it presents a story. Like you talked about Resident Evil 4 last episode. That is 
a storyline that is using voice acting and the language of cinema and its cutscenes. And this is a game that is always from a side-scrolling perspective, has virtually no voice acting. It's like mainly just grunts and little phrases. Mm-hmm. It, like just characters making little noises like the seal. God, that fucking seal annoys me so much every time you pull up at a fast travel spot. It's like, and I'm like, God, fucking shut up. <laughs> did you turn off his radio at any point? Yeah, I did. I did too. And I don't regret it. Um, that's like the one thing I, 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 I treated everybody with such sensitivity in the game. Like I was so attentive to everybody. I was like, are you eating? Are you fed? Are you good? Can I give you a hug? Great. Awesome. Every time I rolled up and heard that little weird, annoying trumpety noise and his like annoying clapping, I was like fucking. And then when like the option came up to turn it off, I was like, I'm turning it off. I'm sorry, man. You gotta, you gotta be considerate of others. (laughs) Yeah. That's not, that's not on you. That's on him. (laughs) Shut up. It's just interesting because I always assume at every point, because I've been conditioned about this from, you know, years and years of video games, that there is some material consequence to my actions. And there very rarely is. You can always fix it. And the, nobody's ever permanently anything at you. You can improve somebody's moods. Nobody dies. There's no fail state. There's no violence in this game. So it's just kind of like, inter- I, I, I'm just, I was just afraid of like turning off the music for a second because I was like, will he not let me fast travel anymore? He's like, he has attitude with you, but he's like, I'm just going to play it in my headphones. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I love this game. Uh, it made an impact on me too. In terms of uh, the future, do you expect this game to have an impact on stuff you'll engage with in the future as it's made you want to pursue other works about death or just other types of video games that look or play or feel like this? Oh, I mean, I immediately looked up games like Spiritfarer after I got <laughs> done playing it. So yes. Yeah. Awesome. You know, the funny thing is there are a couple and uh, two of them made my list of like recommendations that that I had I had already played and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? And they're like mm-hmm. they're games that like I guess I, I've i always kind of liked games like there's there, there's a game that just came out on the PlayStation this month where you play as a mom fox that I guess has the same sort of like it'll kick the shit out of you by the end sort of thing where you're like the last of your species taking mm-hmm. you're trying to take your kids to safety um and it's supposed to be a great game and i will play it at some point but uh not, yeah. not i think right now i'm kind of in my summer mood i don't want to be sad so i'm not going to play it yeah that yeah. sounds like Cormac mccarthy's the road the video game i don't know about that one. right yeah i need a, i need a buffer between this game and the next overwhelmingly sad thing that's why i'm playing the warriors <laughs> yeah i th- yeah that's why i'm playing uh alan wake yeah but uh you mentioned having a few games to recommend uh let's move on to that uh, what would you recommend to our listeners today based on uh, their enjoyment or your enjoyment of Spiritfarer? Well, the first one is like, I feel like it's a no brainer. And if you've played it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course. What remains of Edith Finch? I have the same is, recommendation. Yep. Yeah, that's another one. That is a game that afterwards I was like, this is this is art. Like, again, I don't give a shit about that argument. But I was like, once you got through that story and and, and going through everybody's lives and like, when you get through like the brother who worked at the fish shop and like, Jesus Christ. But again, not in a way where it's like, this is grim for grim's sake. But afterwards I looked at games like spirit fair. And that was like one of the ones on there. And I was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. It is. But that would be my first suggestion. Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about it, uh, since I have the oh, same yeah, yeah. recommendation, no, I, I love this game. I played it during the early months of the pandemic when we were all in lockdown. So I actually managed to get through it all in a sitting. If you, if you have the means to play this game, it's, very short it's heavy but it's short play it check it out 
I know that you would. Uh, I know. I knew that you would like it, Eric, because it does have a John Carpenter music cue in it at one point. Yeah, <laughs> I need to replay it. I've actually been thinking about replaying it because I have it. I own it. That's one I may never come back to again. Sadly, but <laughs> I love it. I love the Henry Selleck Coraline kind of vibes that it's got going on. Sorry, sorry. Continue with the recommendations. No, no, it's okay. I don't know. Uh, Oxenfree, actually, I thought of when we were talking about this. So I'm going to toss Oxenfree in there, and I'm excited for Oxenfree 2. Um, Life is Strange. I haven't played the sequels to Life is Strange. And they're obviously very different gameplay-wise. But again, games that do like these big emotional beats throughout them. And then Night in the Woods, which was it's so funny that when we were talking about indie games like this that I couldn't think of, and Night of the Woods was in my recommendations already. Uh, but <laughs> I actually told Scott when Scott recorded on the soundtrack of the last time, I was like, you got to play Spirit Fair. And he's like, it's been on my list for a long time. But I was like, <laughs> it just reminded me a lot of Spirit Fair or Night in the Woods when I was playing. So those would be my recommendations. Yeah, no. Uh, I also have Night in the Woods on my recommendation here. I put it on there because you're right. There is intersection. There's a lot of intersection there. Um, not necessarily on like a thematic level. They're grappling with two different things, but I think both are dealing with like the fundamental humanity of people that isn't offered to people usually. The nuances of that and like how you aren't solely defined by being a fuck up. So there's there's that aspect of it. Absolutely. In terms of tone, like as Night in the Woods is a lot more Mike Mignola meets Flannery O'Connor. Uh, but I do believe with almost 100% certainty, if you enjoyed Spiritfarer, you will enjoy Night in the Woods and vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, recommend Night in the Woods for anybody who enjoyed this game. I already mentioned What Remains of Edith Finch. I also have two movies I want to leave uh, with recommendations here. Uh, the first one is. Uh, the Netflix film uh, Dick Johnson is Dead. Have you heard of this one, Eric? No. It's a very interesting documentary. Uh, a documentarian uh, has already dealt with like the loss of her mother uh, through dementia and like has this sort of regret that like I didn't get a lot of footage of her before she got really bad with it. Like the only existing footage I have of her between like her being healthy and like her death is like one really just really dark like towards the end of her life. Uh, thing and I wanted to have more of that with like my dad when my dad started going through the same thing. So this whole documentary is her documenting um, the last years of her dad's life, but it doesn't take the bleak uh, route with it where it's like, oh, I'm documenting like his end of days. Like she's having fun with it. Like, hey, let's act out various ways my dad, Dick Johnson, would die. Uh, and like it's like a lot of like very specific things. Like, uh, let's have like a a Pratt fall situation where something from a building falls on top of you. So like she's filming it like that, like it's a real thing that happened or um, let's film like a, a funeral situation. And like, they're just, they're just doing a bunch of madcap. He's very much involved in it and he loves it because it like keeps him engaged involved. And like with the families always around him, it's very sweet. It's very sad. It's a lot of things, but it is another movie that made me like uh, reckon with death. But like, in a way that doesn't necessarily have to be sad or bleak, but uh, life affirming. Just put that on my list. Yeah. Very good. Very brief as well. It's not going to take more than an hour 40, I think. The other movie I would recommend is kind of a weird one, but hear me out. Uh, Eric, have you seen Dr. Sleep? I love Dr. Sleep. Yes. All right. You're my person. All right. Great. We're, we're in a club. Dr. Sleep's great. Uh, one of the most overlooked, no pun intended, movies of the last few years. Yeah. It's Rebecca Ferguson, my love, uh, plays a cult leader named Rose the Hat. She wears a silly hat, too. It's a great movie. 
it's inextricably connected to The Shining. So I can't recommend the movie in isolation if you haven't already seen The Shining. But if you have and you haven't seen this, what are you doing? The, the, the premise of the movie is that um, the kid from The Shining grows up and like he deals, he goes through like the shit. He goes through the ringer of life. He turns to alcoholism to keep The Shining down and then finds purpose uh, after the fact. And this is all very early on in the movie. This isn't spoilers, but like he finds purpose in life uh, becoming an orderly that attends to people in their final moments and gives them some sense of peace. He uses his power to help them move on in a way that they can accept and feel good about it. And he becomes, he's named Dr. Sleep uh, because of that. So it's a movie that's dealing with death in interesting ways. Like he's obviously dealing with trauma. He's dealing with regrets in his life, but he's also trying to make the best of that in a way that he can help somebody else find peace. If you have a complicated relationship with death, highly recommend Dr. Sleep. Yeah, I, 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 a lot of, I've heard people shit on Dr. Sleep, but I really like Dr. Sleep. The book is not very good. It's amazing what he has done multiple times with like not great Stephen King books. Like Gerald's Game is not a good Stephen King book, but the movie was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's the he's the Stephen King guy at this point. Like give him give him all the adaptations at this point. Yeah, Mike Flanagan's great. I really enjoyed the the uh, Gerald's Game adaptation like you did. And I've enjoyed I haven't seen all of his TV shows, but I did enjoy uh, Haunting of Hill House. So yeah. I'll at least uh, I can at least enjoy that one. Another guy like last time you were on here, we were talking about uh, Paul W.S. Anderson and his like, look at my hot wife movies. And uh, Mike Flanagan is definitely of the same category of like, look at my hot wife who's in my movies about uh, how how sad life is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's everything I have. Eric, uh, before I let you go today, uh, please, please promote the hell out of yourself. So I have a show called Sound Tracker. Um, I talk about every week I talk about a movie that had an original motion picture soundtrack. And then we discussed the album and uh, Kiefer's been on. Kiefer's going to be back on. Yeah. Uh, Kiefer was on. We talked about Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, I, you know, Halloween's around the corner. I got a really good Halloween lineup coming up again, um, which is amazing to say that Halloween's around the corner at this point, but it really will be that time. There's nothing between the 4th of July and Halloween. So yeah, Halloween's around the corner. (laughs) Uh, you know, I got a good, some good summer stuff coming up. I'm going to be doing as long as things don't fall through the nice guys is going to be my show's two year anniversary show. So yeah, uh, check it out anywhere you find podcasts and you can find me on both blue sky and Twitter now at Uwe Bollocks, U W E B O L L O C K S. Or if you want to follow the podcast sound tracker with an underscore at the end on Twitter is where you can find me. Yeah, Eric, it's always awesome to have you on. I'll absolutely have you on again in the future because it's always great to talk to you about video games. Thank you for putting this game in my radar. Thank you for coming back on the show and thank you so much for listening to this episode of select and start. Once again, I'm your host editor and promoter Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this engagement helps the show and your feedback will improve it. If you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about spirit or any other games we discussed, send a DM or leave a comment and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also email me now at selectpodstart at gmail.com for additional feedback. You can also support me on Patreon and it's my birthday this month. This episode will be out on the 18th and my birthday is going to be on the 19th. So if you want to get me a nice birthday gift, you could do all those aforementioned things, but you can also pledge at least $1 a month and you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You can also follow me on Twitter currently at Kiefer Reloaded, the link to which can be found in the description of this episode. 
Select and Start is on the Moonshot Network, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more at moonshotpods.com. And the art for this show is made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Eric's. All right. I think that's it. Just follow your heart and keep smiling. Okay.